Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Nine after nine on this Thursday morning. It is the 30th of July. Just one more day to go before we go into August. Where is the time going? Transformation of city centre, says the Echo. Uh, and we can see an almost Parisian-style Photograph, 14 new people-friendly streets in Cork, 4.1 kilometres of new cycle lanes, 43 new racks for 500 bikes, alfresco dining for 1,000 people, and two hour free parking at Paul Street and North Main Street car parks. I'm going to get a full uh, update in conversation on all of this later on uh, with uh, Cork's new Lord Mayor, Councillor Joe Cavanagh. But that's the front page of the Echo. The council plan aims also make uh, the inside of the Echo. Sarah O'Dwyer reporting that Cork is a resilient city and investment in cycling infrastructure, pedestrian-friendly streets and business supports are key to ensuring its economic and social recovery, City Hall leaders have said. So what's going to happen is the introduction of 42 new bike racks, 2 million investment on existing cycling infrastructure, 4.1 kilometres of new cycle lanes, pedestrianisation of another 1.3 kilometres of amenity space at the marina, planting an enhancement of pedestrianised streets, two hours free parking promotion at two of the city centre Multi-story car parks, I've for many years said that it's the draconian measure of slapping tickets on cars after two or three minutes that has uh, taken a lot of business in the city centre. 1.3 kilometres of pedestrianised city centre streets, as I said, and a thousand people can eat at any one time on the city streets. To the examiner and their front page saying that 20% of parents don't want their children back in school. So reports Evelyn Ring, a fifth of parents do not want their children to return to school next month for fear of them catching COVID-19. And overall, half of all parents are worried about their children going back in the middle of the pandemic. And that's according to Barnardo's back-to-school survey. However, almost all concede it's important for their children's emotional and social development as well as their mental health that over five months after they left their classrooms, they are able to get back to their desks. The children, too, have mixed feelings, the survey found, that while they were eager to see their friends and get back to learning in a school setting, many of the children themselves are worried about contracting COVID-19 or passing it on to a loved one. Barnardo's Chief Executive Suzanne Connolly said, uh, this year the charity changed the survey to reflect the difficult circumstances parents and children found themselves in. Uh, and I was looking last night at, of all things, uh, a post online from the Dublin City Fire Brigade. And it caught my attention because I wonder how many schools uh, know that this is the fire brigade's advice when it comes to opening up. And this is just from a fire safety point of view, opening up schools. So with schools beginning to put plans in place for reopening, and Dublin City Fire Brigade has been asking, and I think it, it should go across the country really, asking principals to realise that hand sanitizer is flammable. Individual hand sanitizer dispensers should not exceed 1.2 litres. And the bulk storage of hand sanitizers should be outside the main building or in a vapor-proof cabinet. And also, extra fire extinguishers should be needed. Might be needed, could be needed, should be needed. It doesn't matter. Better be looking at them than looking for them, I would say. Now, back to the papers. And the mirror says, red faces in Hull's U-turn. The government has been forced into a humiliating, humiliating U-turn by allowing those on the pandemic unemployment payment to travel abroad on holidays. It's almost, as I said yesterday, they're listening and reading the media uh, and just doing these sort of uh, about-face. See, this about-face came after it emerged the ban on travelling for those receiving state unemployment support could be illegal. So Heather Humphreys announced it. Mary Lou MacDonald missed it and came in and gave out that it wasn't there. And then Heather Humphreys says, no, we've changed that. 
Uh, and the front page of the Phoenix has a very entertaining uh, caption, as it always does. It's a picture of Micheál Martin taking a question, and the question is, uh, so what's the latest travel advice, Tishik? And Micheál Martin, in a balloon out of his mouth, is saying, and we're focusing on U-turns. Uh, quite funny, and you have to laugh at some at some of this. As a result of the pressure, the government will no longer cut people's pandemic unemployment payment if they travel to countries on the green list. So far, there have been 85 cases of the benefit being lost due to travel. Whatever about benefits, I keep looking at the Doyle whenever it sits in the convention centre at a cost of €50,000 a day. And I've never seen more TDs in there at the one time than could socially distance in a taxi. Why are they not using Dáil Éireann? I would imagine the only time that the 50 grand a day did the state of service was when every single TD turned up for the election of the Taoiseach because there was a kind of a landmark moment and they were all expected to vote. But since then, it's been literally empty. I don't know why they keep paying 50 grand a day of taxpayers' money and uh, not, are not using Dáil Éireann and are saying, oh, but you'd be grand putting your kids into a classroom. Obesity crisis for teenagers, says the male, fears that screen time and COVID lockdown are worsening the situation. And uh, a report has made alarming findings on teenage obesity in Ireland, with concern being expressed as the latest growing up in Ireland study shows that 28% of youngsters aged between 17 and 18, more than one in four, struggle with their weight. Households lack capacity to deal with a second shock of Brexit, minister told. And uh, we mentioned this uh, second wave uh, of COVID yesterday, the WHO are at pains to say there is no second wave. It's one big wave. We have suppressed it, but there could be a second surge. So happy to clarify that. But now on top of all that, households and businesses may not have the capacity to withstand a second economic shock as a result of a hard Brexit at the end of the year. It's not gone away, you know. Minister for Foreign Affairs Simon Coveney has been warned as the government intensifies its planning for the UK's departure from the EU. Given the economic damage already wrought by COVID-19, Mr. Coveney's been warned that Ireland is facing into Brexit from a fundamentally different economic starting point than for a no-deal Brexit in 2019. Uh, so, some more quick stories. Coveney given car for frequent Belfast visits. The outgoing government argued Simon Coveney should keep his official ministerial car after stepping down as Tónishta because of his frequent visits to Northern Ireland as Minister for Foreign Affairs. Couldn't he take the car just from Dublin to Northern Ireland and hop back in his own in Dublin and come home? I don't know. Mr Coveney travelled by car to the north 44 times in 2019. And while the number of trips will be less frequent this year because of COVID-19, government sources said he travelled across the border at least once and sometimes twice a week when the Doyle was in session. It's understood Mr Coveney himself made no request to retain the car. But outgoing Taoiseach Leo Varadkar asked Government Secretary-General Martin Fraser to contact the Secretary-General of the Department of Justice, Aidan O'Driscoll, to inquire about retaining the state car. The government is struggling to, to the finish line of a tumultuous Doyle term. As it emerged yesterday, the Secretary-General of the Department of the Taoiseach had approached his counterpart in the Department of Justice and asked him to contact the Garda Commissioner. How about a security detail for Mr. Coveney? Garda drivers are usually made only available to the Taoiseach, the Taunishta and the Minister for Justice. So the uh, Leo gets to keep his car, him being a Taunishta, of course. But why does he need an aide to come? Why, why does he need that? It's just, is it optics? Is it va- vanity? Is it ego? I don't know. Maddie Suspect, Secret Seller, says the mirror on the front page. The uh, Maddie story, of course, is all over the news. Maddie Secret Seller found says the sun on their front page. And in the independent front page, ministers in new row on spending as TDs head off for six weeks. The government took a U-turn on special advisors. A fresh row has erupted over ministers and their special advisors. All highlighted, of course, on this programme in various chats 
uh, with Minister Simon Coveney, with TD Paul Murphy, and of course with the Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath. The door rises today. I say they'll be very glad to get out of there. Uh, it's been a tumultuous and rocky road for the first month. Ministers of State are furious over plans for them to share a pool of special advisors. We want our own special advisors. The government ministers have been promised individual advisors uh, after they were appointed. I wonder are they advisors? Are, are they, you know, jobs for people who helped them get elected over the years and went knock, knocking on doors and canvassing? They've now been told they will be forced to share a group of advisors. The decision has infuriated ministers of state who feel they're punished for spending controversies caused by their senior cabinet colleagues. You wouldn't get it in a circus. I don't see how this could work at all, and it will inevitably cause havoc, one junior minister said. Another said... Eamon Ryan has an advisor for every cubbyhole in his office. We now have ministers of state with heavy workloads fighting over an advisor. The row comes as the Doyle summer recess begins today. None of them complaining about that. The parliament will not be sitting when the schools reopen in August, by the way, folks. Um, and they're sitting in a complete airy building at the moment. I say go back to the Doyle. There's not enough of you attending. Uh, and stop that 50 grand a day. Put it into the schools. So they, our Irish parliament will not sit again until the schools are well and fully back. And meanwhile, there are serious questions uh, about the decision to give Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney a state car and a guarded driver. It's not been uh, a clear run for this government. It's been a bit, bit of a bumpy road. And it's emerged Taoiseach Michal Martin was not aware that the most senior civil servant in his department had sought security advice on whether to retain the service for Mr Coveney. The Taoiseach was left in the dark by the Department of the Taoiseach, Secretary General Martin Fraser, who sought a security assessment which ensured Mr Coveney retained his car and driver, which cost the taxpayer around 200,000 a year, or just a meagre million euros for the uh, proposed length of life of this government. I don't know. You couldn't write it in a soap opera. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. Straight to the phones. Line one is Jonathan Birmingham. Good morning, Jonathan. Hi, how's it going? Now, I'm looking at a video uh, as I speak of your car being broken into. So this is Little Island. It's Monday night. It looks like a sports car. It's a white, it's a rare car, is it? Yeah, it's a Toyota Supra. Not many of them don't know anymore. Okay, yeah. where, where, where was it parked? Because he, there was obviously CCTV. It was parked outside, outside my workplace there. I saw car parts in Little Island. Okay. And, uh, uh, was, it, was it left there for the night? or? No, I left there for a few hours. I had to do delivery after work, so I, I just jumped in the van and, and did a few deliveries. And uh, I called them to my mother then. And by the time I got back up at uh, half past ten, there was a uh, that being broken into. Okay. So, so uh, the video is about three and a half, four, four minutes long. So, so just tell me exactly, take me through the video and describe it for the listeners as to what exactly they did, what exactly they took, uh, and the attempts that were made. I suppose they were trying to steal the car and, and you know, steal the whole unit, were they? Yeah, well, the only saving grace is that it has a quick release steering wheel. And I took that out when I was leaving and just uh, locked up the car. But he seems to be filming himself as he's, as he's doing it. Um, I must be Facebook Live or Snapchat or something. And uh, then he goes on. He starts in the top of the wheels then for, for, the, for the key, I'd say. Right. And, uh, and then, Which is where uh, everybody leaves a key, by the way, on top of one of the wheels. Yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> then he goes on and he takes off all the uh, fancy valve caps. And he goes on and screws all those off. And then then he smashes in the, the back passenger little fly window to try to get his hand in to open the door. Okay. And he couldn't reach the door handle, so then he goes and he smashes the, the main passenger window then. And uh, he just uh, 
kind of climbs in then, has a route around in the car and stuff. And so uh, he got the car open after he smashed the passenger window, yeah? Uh, yeah, he just climbs in through the, through the passenger window, he's hanging in through the, the passenger, the, or passenger front door. Having a rummage around. Having a rummage around, yeah. And he leaves, kind of, about, about 17 minutes past 10, he leaves. And he walks down towards the MCT centre then, and, uh, and then I arrive on, I arrived in a, at half a ten and collect the car. And he's gone? Yeah, he's gone. So, around the, around the guards then, they, they came then, they took the car right in and, on a truck and got it fingerprinted in and stuff, so. Well, was that crime deemed serious enough for them to fingerprint the car, yeah? Yeah, apparently so. Yeah, they, they were happy enough to, they called, I think JD Recovery came over and took it to their, their special unit over where, where they keep cars inside just to, to get them fingerprinted and, because I'd say there's only a handful of these cars in, in order to know what tomorrow yeah, but who, who would leave fingerprints in the car? He's obviously wearing gloves. He's wearing a hoodie anyway. Yeah, I don't think he's not wearing a hoodie. He's a... Uh, he's a... Um, yeah, he's going to... Yeah. We're losing you. The line's not great, Jonathan. Uh, any advice to people then for leaving car? Even at their workplace in, in darkness is dangerous now. Yeah, apparently it's going to... Little Island's going to... A lot of cars getting broken into around Little Island for some reason. But, okay. Uh, so I just said, uh, yeah, just keep, keep it, keep it locked and keep it in, in view of keep it in view of security cameras and keep it in in as well a lit place as possible. Yeah, yeah. I thought it'd be safe enough outside outside our place there because there's a gym next door as well, which is which is open until ten o'clock anyway. So yeah. I thought it'd be safe enough outside with, with all the lights and and people passing and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, well, Toyota Supra is going to attract them anyway, isn't it? That's just. <laughs> like a sore thumb but but yeah just to keep people aware that it's happening around the place so yeah we'll share the video uh, in our online uh, social media outlets so people can have a look at just how determined this guy was we'll put it up on Twitter and Facebook anyway okay yeah All right, Jonathan could be gone but Thanks a million. Thanks, thanks a Thanks. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Now, the final topic on the program yesterday was the Eid Festival, the Aid Festival, uh, which is the Muslim festival proposed to take place in Croke Park. And uh, it's Eid, Eid, sorry, E-I-D, uh, sorry, Eid Festival uh, in Croke Park, a Muslim festival. Back to that topic in a moment. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. 26 minutes after nine. Good morning. Now, if I gave the impression that it was 500 people is the general... Uh, accepted amount of people outdoors yesterday. It's only because uh, this Eid Fest or Eid Festival uh, is proposing for 500. The actual limit, of course, is 200. And I'm happy to clear that up. And I'm joined on the line by Alan Deedy uh, to talk about the current legislation. It's 200 people outdoors, Alan. That's correct, isn't it? That's correct. The current legislation is 200 people outdoors yeah. at the moment. Yeah, now I know application has been made for the government for places like Crook Park and, you know, outdoor huge, huge venues uh, to go up to 500. Uh, not sure how that's going to pan out now with the what's happening in Europe with the, with the seeming increase in, in, in found cases again. Um, but you have messages from the Irish Muslim Peace and Integration Council on the 17th of July saying that they were going ahead with 200. That's correct, yeah. They, they told me on the 17th of July they were going ahead with uh, 200 people. It, it now would seem they're proposing to go ahead with 500 people. Well, this is the thing. It was two days later they sent a a letter to government asking for 500 you know it just doesn't make any sense like okay. I know what's the point in having legislation if nobody's going to abide by it like you know mm-hmm. and if if they have 500 that's only by special dispensation from the government is it 
Uh, apparently so, yeah. But I mean, like, it, if we bend the rules for one, why can't we bend them for others? You yes, know? I, I got the impression they wanted a thousand and they're being allowed five hundred. Well, they've sold five hundred tickets. I know that. I know that for fact that they've sold five hundred tickets. Um, I think the original was. I think originally the plan was to have a thousand, but I think they they realised realistically that wasn't going to happen. Um, so they they've ended up selling five hundred. Okay. So I mean, it, 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 I mean, obviously, if they got five hundred tickets sold, they're still going to go ahead with the event for five hundred. I, I think legislation is out the window. So it, it now looks as though the the two hundred is not feasible. If they sold five hundred tickets, they they can't really do anything but cancel or go ahead with five hundred or be stopped from going ahead with five hundred. Well, I mean, the day before the event, what 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 you know, what do they expect to be done? Do you know, mm-hmm. it's um, it's I mean, it's quite obvious this. They were going to do the 500. I personally feel that it's quite obvious they were going to go ahead with the, the 500 anyway. Okay. I mean, to, to confirm that they were going, to, what they basically said in the message was due to the, the rise, because there was a rise in numbers back in the, around the 17th. Mm-hmm. We, we had lots of, t- lots of texts yesterday, Alan, in relation to communions cancelled, funerals at very low numbers. Ash says mm-hmm. it's not fair our kids have to have communion separate because they all can't make it together. And that's a very special celebration for us as families. It can't be one rule for them and one for another. This shouldn't be left go ahead. Uh, Ren says the Eid is a religious festival. It can't really be compared to a sporting event. And I wonder if we'd be asking these questions, though, if it was a Catholic event. And one more, the GAA made the FAI jump through hoops to hold a game in Parque Kiev for the Lame Miller tribute. This is wrong. It should not be held. Is the GAA essentially a Catholic organization or is it non-religious? Well, the GAA, I suppose, as an organisation, is non-religious, but it's got deep Catholic roots. I mean, we all know that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's. I mean, if if you want to compare the the GAA to the uh, Eid event, I mean, Christ, how long are they playing the All Ireland Vital in Crow Park? Probably a hundred years now at this stage. Mm-hmm. Eighteen eighty-four was opened, and I mean, even the All Ireland date has been changed just to accommodate this. So, I mean, surely. A small religious event. You, do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's. It, I mean, we're on about traditions now and stuff like that. I mean, it's. It's. If, if the GA can change a big date like the All Ireland, surely the the Eid can put it off till next year. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm not sure about the, the strict framework of timings. That the, it's obviously a time of the year that they have this festival. It is, uh, yeah, I suppose. It, it, it's a bit, like, I'm, I'm not okay with the, the religion, I'm not okay with any religion, to be quite yeah, honest. I, 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 I'm not either, but I, I know that they seem to, you know, if if the GA or if the government said, no, you can only have 200, they'd probably be getting representations from the Muslim faith to say, you're oppressing our religious freedom. Uh, and I'm just wondering, uh, if, as a guideline, the 200 people that can gather in open spaces, for instance... Uh, in a field or something for a, a concert or something like that. Uh, I wonder if application can be made for a place like Croke Park that can, with six feet separation, hold 500 people. Well, uh, I mean, surely when the, when they came up with this legislation, they would have taken this kind of these kind of things into event uh, into account. You know, I mean, any local GA field that you could go into, I'm sure you could put over 200 people or even 500 people and keep. Even two, three meters apart. Mm. I mean, that's 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 a given. I'd say in nearly every single GA field throughout the country. So I mean, surely when they made the legislation, they took all that kind of things into account. I mean, at the end of the day, it is legislation. It should be adhered to. It should be respected. And it should. I mean, 
a lot of people have put a lot of effort and work into this suppressing this COVID. You know, it's it's a bit of a slap across the face, I think. Okay, hang on there, Alan. Seamus, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Completely agree with that caller there you have on. Um, Can I just explain to you, this this is a PC uh, move by a PC, overly uh, PC, Fianna Gael government under Leo Varadkar. Events like this for... Who was was Taoiseach when... Sorry, Leo Varadkar, who was Taoiseach when this was allowed to be booked? Well, he, his, his government, Fianna Gael, endorsed this kind of uh, PC mentality, like whereby we can't say no to any cohort of people in, in case we offend them. I mean, the reality is, and everybody knows it, and they're afraid to say it, I suppose, if you were to request in the UAE or Saudi Arabia or anywhere in the, uh, from, um, the, in, in the Arab world, uh, the building with Catholic Church so that you could celebrate your um, religious ceremony, be it Catholicism, in a Sunday Mass, you could face the death penalty. Never mind being told no. If you kept pushing for it, you could find yourself dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the reality of it. Um, but yes, I mean, fundamentally, anyway, the culture stone really even resonates with the Western world. But I won't go into that too much. And I'll tell you the basis of my, my point is, right? Michael McGrath is the, uh, a West Cork um, independent TD. He was on uh, TV. That's, my, uh, that's Michael Gilles. Collins. That's Michael Collins. Sorry, Michael, sorry Michael, Michael Collins. Michael Collins. He was on TV on, uh, I think it was the Ivy 8 or one of those shows, Primetime, and he was making statements uh, regarding the um, direct provision housing system, which is defunct of purpose as well, under the Fine Gael uh, government. You're very anti-Fine Gael, aren't you? Uh, well, look at the records. You know, look at the record. Look at the votes. Look at, look at how they're hanging on to their fingernails in power now. Anyway, aside from that, it's gone down to them anyway at this point. But look... You know, when he made, when he was making points in, in relation to direct provision, he did make a point that, and he was called a racist for it. That's, that's, see, this is the, the, the mentality that's endorsed out there. He's not a racist, this guy. He actually has urged people's uh, uh, interests at heart, or he, he deemed to have them when he was uh, looking for a, a, a vote. Now, he made the statement clearly that a lot of people would make as well. That, like, you know, the government should stop focusing on uh, opening the, the revolving doors to the rest of the world, and maybe focusing on sorting out our own problems and our own issues first with our own people. And then extend the hands when we're ready, economically as well, at every level, socially as well. Okay, can no, I, no, no, can no, I no. put it to you both? That if, if we travel ab- abroad as Christians or Catholics or Protestants or whatever, uh, and we go, and we often do, to these tourist-related religious sites. And I've been to the Sheikh Zayed Grand Mosque in, uh, yeah. in Abu Dhabi. Uh, one of the most impressive buildings, uh, it's rumored to have cost, nobody knows how much it cost. There's 13, yeah. sorry, there's 26 13 ton chandeliers in there, made of diamonds and gold, and, and, it, and it's their tribute to their god or whatever. Um, yeah. but, but ultimate respect must be paid. Uh, women have to cover their faces with, uh, with scarves. You can't have, uh, short, you can't have a knee showing, uh, even as a man. Um, you know, you, you really have to cover up and show respect. Is, is yeah, that yeah. is that same respect shown by these religions when they come to live in our countries? No, the real and the, 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 the general feeling and the general consensus is we want this, and we're therefore when we ask for it, we we get it. If we don't get it, we call you. Uh, um, I don't know whatever racist term you want to use. These the, 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 and I'm not attacking all religious cohorts whatsoever, but there is a predominance. If you look around, uh, you know. Of uh, I suppose the, the Arab world and I suppose the, the religious the beliefs that go with it, they they use they spin the wheel of the the PC swords from the Western world and they use it against them. 
So like we are actually, we're like idiots really. We're we're all too afraid to say no. And unfortunately, like you know, when the foreign consulates are having their meetings with the government members, surely they discuss they should discuss these issues at a fundamental level. But like it's t- to and fro. I mean, if if you have a group of like rather like the Irish when they are in the states or other parts of the world, Australia, and even in parts of the the, the Arab world, we do play Gaelic football. But if we wanted to celebrate our religious beliefs in the Middle East, you can face the death penalty. And if you kept pushing it, you will surely face that. Yeah, okay. You won't want to be there, you know. And like it's, it's double standard, and it's really set with Fianna Gael. Unfortunately, we don't have leaders. We have King of the Hills looking to please anyone else except our own people because they're cutting deals with these the, the, the foreign consulates. All it's right, Seamus. It's a slap on the face, and that other Carla there who's on, I won't go on too much, but, you know, he's highlighted the issue. He said it. It's a slap on the face of the earth, and it's wrong. If they can hold 500 to 1,000 Muslims in Crow Park, why aren't we? Why aren't we hosting uh, communions, confirmations, and even uh, you know uh, minimal amounts of uh, spectators at matches? Oh, well, matches, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, what would that do for the mental health of a lot of uh, spectators out there who were missing their sport for six months? No, 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 no. We'd rather focus on keeping the PC world of every cohort, except the Irish, happy. Okay. Fair, fair point, Seamus, and very well made. Like, I'll go back to oh, Alan. Thanks, because, million, thanks a million. Thanks a million. Go. Cheers. Thanks, bye-bye. Go back to Alan because I started here. Um, so, if this was to be reduced or kept. Uh, to 200. What I'm trying to get at, I suppose, Alan, is, is which set of rules supersede the other? Is it the protection of people, including Irish Muslims, uh, against contracting COVID-19 or allowing their ability for free religious expression uh, in crowds that are by possibly by permission of the government larger than the guidelines given? Well, it's protecting people. It doesn't matter what creed, what race, whatever. You could be the planet Zog and worship a guy sitting on the back of a comment. doesn't matter who you are. Mm-hmm. It's about protecting people now at this stage. If you're in this country and there's legislation in place, it should be followed. Simple as that. Legislation comes before religious freedom, then? Of course it does. The, the, the safety of every single person comes before any religious belief. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm not a religious person. I don't agree with organized religions. Everybody's entitled to a faith. No issue with that. But that, 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 day, that begs, the, 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 here's the age-old chestnut now, right? So you've got a Muslim, uh, a, a person of Muslim faith, born in Ireland or who has Irish citizenship. You have a person yeah. of the Catholic faith, born in Ireland or who has Ireland Irish citizenship. And let's say you have a, a person of Protestant faith, born in Ireland or of uh, or has Irish citizenship. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because one religion precedes the other in this geography, does that give the other the, the newer religions here, even though they're ancient religions going back thousands of years, possibly even before Christianity, does that give them uh, the right to protest and, and say, no, we're being oppressed because we're not allowed to practice our faith? No, it doesn't. But this goes back to what that caller said. It's, it's the, the PC police, essentially. It's the... It's, I mean, using stereotypes, I suppose the Irish are notorious for for not wanting to make somebody feel unwelcome or whatever, and that's what it's coming back to. I feel I think we're 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 bending the rules for this um, uh, minority crowd to allow such events like this in in scenarios that we're currently in. Which I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember the origin of these fates from from my history lessons well, forty years ago. Uh, faith is is, is um, seventh century. It's it's about one thousand five hundred years old, for example. You know, it's it's not a very ancient. It, it comes from Islam, which obviously is ancient, but the Muslim faith itself is only about uh, one thousand five hundred years old. 
Okay. But uh, as regards, um, if, if I remember correctly, there's Abraham and Sarah. Uh, yeah. And Abraham and Sarah could not conceive a child. So Sarah sent Abraham to the bed of their handmaid, who uh, was called um, Hagar. It was called yeah, Hagar. You're kidding me, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember myself. And uh, Abraham and Hagar, for Abraham and Sarah, had a son. And that son was named Ishmael. And then uh, God fulfilled on his promise to Abraham and Sarah. And lo and behold, Sarah fell pregnant. And then said, cast out this child of our handmaid from our house and raise our son uh, as as your own and only that. And so... It kind of began, and if, if I remember correctly, uh, you had Ishmael's uh, sons and daughters became uh, the Islamic faith, and Isaac's sons and daughters became the Jewish faith. That's, that's the basic that's recollection I have. But that sounds familiar now, actually. I, I don't know the ins and outs of it. Um, I mean, I, I did a small bit of research on, on the Muslim faith before taking the call today. Um, but, I mean, again, it, it goes back to, it, it's, it's irrelevant of... History. I mean, if you want to look at it at that, at that in that way, I mean, how old the religion is and should it be allowed and all this kind of thing. I mean, hurling's over three thousand years old. I know it's not a religion; it's a sport. It is to some, but, it, <laughs> but exactly, it's probably more so than than the Catholic churches in in this country. But it's over three thousand years old. But yet we're moving one of the biggest dates in the hurling calendar all year, and we're moving it to December. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's give and take at the end of the day. I mean, you look at all these pubs and everything all over the country, which are all closed. Whelan's in Limerick last week opened up. He got shut down because he breached legislation. So why should an event go ahead in well, Park? I, like, I, I'm all for it going ahead because, I, you know, I'm each to their own. But whether it should go ahead at 500 people is, is, is the big question here. I, I'm, I'm ever more increasingly of, of the opinion... Uh, Alan, that you know, religion is just a competition as to whose imaginary friend is the best. Exactly. And, and, I, and, and as regards anything else, I think the whole world should live under one big white flag rather than have all, all these territorial disputes. Agreed entirely. Kind of yeah, yeah. yeah I, I completely agree with that. And that's why I said at the start. I mean, this isn't. It's nothing to do with religion or creed or race or anything. Mm-hmm. It's got to do with legislation. If they were open about it and were a bit more organised and said, "Well, okay, look, it is two hundred people. We go ahead with two hundred people." There wouldn't be an issue, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll get a couple of their humbugs just because they're um, just because they're Muslim. You know, that's unfortunate. You do have those people in the world, but I think most people, majority of people, are annoyed because they are pushing for the five hundred. And I bet you there'll be five hundred people in Quebec tomorrow. Well, let's see where it goes. Thanks a million for the call, Alan. Appreciate it. Thanks, it, very much. thanks a million. And it has generated a lot of texts on 0868104106. Let's give you a flavour of them. I'm in favour of letting the celebration go hence, says John. Jimmy says, why complain about this? Ireland's already sold out. It's camels next. It's a banana republic. Imelda said, yeah, yet families are made only have 50 people at funerals. This country is laughable. What an absolute joke. Susan says, I can't see any problem with this celebration being held. The Muslim community contribute a lot to Ireland, especially in the healthcare sector. It's also an outside gathering which allows more people than we would be allowed inside in our churches. We're also allowed uh, only allowed 50 people per section of a church with their own exits and social distancing being maintained. Tracy, I'm assuming they will wear masks stroke face coverings 
Jackie said money talks. Melvin said it's no big deal. Michael said, is there good hurlers or footballers in the Muslim community? Nothing surprises me with the GAA. It's all money again. And Patrick said, it's not right that we can't have family at christenings, weddings and funerals. So what makes them so special that they get this privilege? It is a joke of a country we live in. And on another point, Croke Park is after seeing enough blood spilled with no... Uh, with no thanks to the the tans. Now jog on and respect our religion in our country. And a quite long text here, and uh, there's a couple more. Uh, I'll get to these. Uh, Joseph, it is absolute crap, but why are people so surprised? Haven't you all figured it out yet? Decisions like this have been happening all throughout this scam pandemic. We're a Catholic country, yet people were not allowed to go to Mass and celebrate their faith. Our businesses were forced to shut. Hundreds of uh, or thousands of people lost their jobs and livelihoods. Yet temporary foreign workers were allowed travel into Ireland to pick strawberries. These were classed as essential workers. Really? Give me a break. Wake up and speak up or suffer the consequences of your silence. Ireland has become a nation of sheep. Sadly, to be Irish is almost a crime now. This is our country. And if we do not agree with the Black Lives Matter stance, then we are racist. People are complaining about direct provisions. While 13,000 Irish men, women and children are homeless. It's a kick in the teeth for those who cannot get support from their own government. I have my own opinions, and thankfully they're not the same as everyone else's, but that is my right. Or is it against the, uh, the law to voice your opinion too? And one from Lisa, the GAA, ne- GAA nearly blew a gasket when the FAI wanted to hold a tribute game for Liam Miller's tribute match, and they seemed to want to allow this to go ahead. It's a disgrace to even consider it. You can be 100% sure there's a substantial amount of money being paid to the GAA because it for sure isn't the goodness in their hearts to be doing this. It's petition time. This needs to be stopped. I can't understand why they can't hold it someplace like the Phoenix Park if it's only 500 people. They can also use a big field in the middle of nowhere. There's no shortage of them here. It's In a Catholic country, I can't comprehend why this is allowed to happen in the first place. I mean, if you go to an Islamic state, there's no way in hell that Catholics would get the go-ahead to enjoy a worshipping festival. It's one rule for them again and another rule for everyone else. It's beyond ridiculous. And for one final tiny one says uh, from Christine says, I've no problem with Muslims, but uh, we can't go to a pub or a concert yet. It's a quarter to ten. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And a very good morning to you. Emma's on line one. Hi, Emma. Hello, Emma. Sorry, different line. Okay, I beg your pardon. It's line six. Hi, Emma. How you doing? Hi, Mick. How are you? I'm very good. Now, you're looking and have been looking to rent a room in Cork, and that's been a bit of a roller coaster for you. Oh, it has been such a roller coaster, as in, like, just the kind of things that are happening online and the email responses have been outrageous. In what way? <laughs> so just to begin with, um, so I was looking just around like the Cork area and stuff and basically there was like advertisements for people saying they wanted someone to live in a plant-based household, like you'd have to have a specific diet to be moving into this house. And I was like, this is just crazy. Like, How do you mean plant-based? You mean, you mean vegan or? Yeah, I'm assuming it was vegan. So that was the requirement. And then another place was advertising shared bunk beds with another person. What do you mean? Like a hot bed? A bunk bed, like sharing top <laughs> oh, sh- sharing and top and bottom. In the, in, in the sa- yeah. I thought you meant sharing the same bunk bed, working different shifts or something. <laughs> no, no, but um, yeah, it was like a bunk bed and sharing the same room. And it, it's just been crazy. And another one was like in their bio, they must, per- the person must shower daily. <laughs> and I thought that was just kind of, is that not a kind of, okay, maybe their last residence didn't 
you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's the default setting, but um, <laughs> it's it's not something you want somebody else to be imposing on you, shall I say? Um, yeah. And, and did I hear some of the that, that that there was one out there where somebody didn't want you to be spending much time in the house? Yeah. So I emailed one advertiser, and I was really nice, you know, really pleasant, introduced myself. And the response I got was, hi, we're holding viewings on Friday and ideally we're looking for someone who won't be spending a lot of time in the house. Let me know if you're interested in viewing and we can arrange a time. So I was just like, I laughed at this, right? So I was just like, okay. So I just replied and I said, I would actually be looking to live in the house as that is the purpose of renting a house. Yeah, it's not, uh, can I come home at 8 o'clock to go to bed? Yeah, th- this is the thing. It it, it almost sounds like a, a B&B or something. And then the response I got, I was shocked. It was, I don't recall mentioning anything about not living in the house. We're looking for someone who's not going to be stuck in the house 24-7, i.e. someone who has hobbies and an actual life. Uh, with that oh. attitude, you can scratch this house off your list. Bye. Right, okay. So, like, maybe they were maybe not in great command of the English language, but maybe they're, say, looking for a professional person who has uh, work-stroke hobbies, um, and you, you could put it in a way, uh, but not saying, we won't be spending a lot of time in the house. Of course I want to if I'm renting it. Exactly. I mean, if you're paying money and you're paying rent and bills, what difference does it make? And I, and I talked to social media about it. And the response has been crazy. And another girl I came across online, her name is Nicole. She got the same response from the same advertiser. And it's just like the amount of people that were like texting me saying I got this kind of response. Like it's just been crazy what specifics people want or they want to tell people what to do, which I don't think is right. Well, we have Nicole on on the line, actually. And it'd be nice to hear from her now. Nicole, you're from Roscommon. I am, yeah. And you're moving down to Cork in September. Yep, so um, similar to Emma, I've been searching, kind of finding the same thing, and we actually emailed that same landlord. Uh, I actually didn't get a response at all, so I just asked, what exactly do you mean by not spending much time in the house? And I didn't get a reply. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they're getting the hint that this isn't working. They could be turning away some good potential clients here. I mean, you're you're moving to Cork for a reason. You're you're not moving to Cork to stay in a house 24-7. Yeah, but as I was saying to Emma, um, we got in touch then as we, we both came across each other on Twitter. Um, you know, with the situation at the moment with COVID-19, a lot of us may be spending a lot of time at home if it's a situation where we have to work from home. So that's what kind of put me off because it could be a situation I have to work from home. So, you know, it's not that helpful to see someone saying they don't want you in the house, you're going to be renting. Yeah, okay, but look, you you guys already, I can tell, sound like kindred spirits. Would you not combine forces and maybe get something together? I we think are having a look <laughs> You're answering each other's questions now as well. It's brilliant. Uh, so you, you've joined forces. What what are you looking at now, Emma? Let's go take you first. Okay, so I'm I'm still kind of looking online, like anywhere that's kind of affordable and reasonable around the city centre or on the outskirts. That's kind of what I'm going for. But it's just been so hard, Mick. As in, for a young person now, this is just the reality of what's happening. You're getting these kind of responses. And I just think it it is hard to find decent people and a decent place to live. Yeah. Um, I I remember back in in the 80s when I was working uh, with Aircom and I had to go and block release, went to Limerick 
went to digs. Now, at the time, it was £35. Uh, the weekly wage was £57. So it was, it was a lot of money. By the time you got up and down home, you didn't have much left. Um, but the digs was, essentially, you get breakfast and you get an evening meal. Uh, not even a TV room. There was a TV in the bed and kind of thing. And, you know, it's, it really, really isn't ideal. But what you guys are looking for is someone who has at least the courtesy to allow you to stay home without complaint if you have to stay home. Yeah, yeah and, uh, I, I mean, it's, yeah, we're both answering each other's questions there. <laughs> let's, let's let Nicole in on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think I've heard a lot of people talking about the jig situation, especially for students, and I'm only a recent graduate. But I suppose what's shocking to me is you'd kind of expect digs, you know, if they are only looking for you to stay Monday to Friday, it might be a bit less. But a lot of them are looking for similar prices as you'd be expected if you want a house to yourself 24-7. So I think they, I don't know, maybe need to... So you'd have to go home every weekend in some of the scenarios, would you? Yeah, and I don't want to be going to home to a scam. You know, if I'm moving to Cork, I want to meet different people and <laughs> become a resident in Cork. Yeah. So it's not a great welcome when you have people telling you they don't want to stay in the house. Okay, so what what options are open to you? Can I ask you loosely, you've obviously both discussed this. Uh, mm-hmm. you, geographically, city centre would be bullseye, uh, commutable suburbs possible. Um mm-hmm. Looking yeah. for, so two girls, two professionals, I suppose, uh, or student or, or graduates looking for a place uh, that there won't be trouble if there's, uh, if there's another sort of restrictive lockdown uh, or restrictive work from home situation. Uh, and what would, what would the budget be for, you obviously want a, a room each, but you, you could possibly share with two other professionals or two other girls, yeah? Yeah, like my last place now that I was living in was super affordable. I mean, like, at the moment, I'm online and I'm looking at places that are, like, 750 a month for these places. And I'm like, this is crazy. 800, like, like the prices are just, like, they just keep going up and up. Yeah, but surely you guys would get a three-bed, maybe, and, and share with one other person for 14 or 15 a month. Yeah, and I think if we can find something like that, that would be ideal. Well, okay. Well, what we'll do, uh, what we I suppose we have done by putting this on the air, is we've alerted landlords that there are two girls, uh, you know, either singly or together can move into to property or properties. Uh, and hopefully there might be a listener or two out there that can get in touch with us to say, look, I'll couple up with the girls. Uh, we'll become a three or a four-part uh, harmony group, shall we say. We'll become a girl band. And we, and we, and we, or, or, or a mixed band, who am I to say? Um, and, and we rent a house for maybe, and we've got 500 euros each. Uh, that might, that might appeal to a landlord. A nice four bed for 17 or 1800 quid would be the, would be the job, wouldn't it? I do, yeah. I think it's hard. I, after shutting down my last night, I was looking and the sort of, I'm looking at Cork City Centre, Blackpool, that kind of area. And I think I only came across one place that they were advertising that was a three bed that was reasonable. Because a lot of them, they're looking for 1300 €1,400 Euro for a one bed. Yeah. They're obviously looking for a couple. So there doesn't seem to be that many out there that are actually looking for, you know, okay. three or four friends to move in. Yeah, guys, i got to leave it there, but it's been an intriguing conversation. We are going to keep in touch and we'll see what you get, okay? Thanks, man. Thank, thanks. thanks a million, guys. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. Back to our phone lines in a moment, but first by text, uh, room for rent, but don't be at home. Uh, the topic brought up by Emma just on the phone before the news at 10. Mick, I've decided to move out 
of the apartment I am in, as the girl I live with is working from home since the start of the pandemic. I myself have been working outside of the home, but every time I come home, there she is, the whole kitchen taking up, taken up. She's never not there. I think those working at home during the pandemic need to have more consideration for their roommates as they are meant to be sharing. This isn't sharing. This is hogging the kitchen. Can't you work in the bedroom? It's led me to move uh, to be moving out on my own now and looking for a place myself. And as a by the way, can you ask if anyone knows if someone is working from a laptop with data, should they not be working in their bedroom? Uh, I used to love where I live, but now I hate it. Some people can be very selfish, says Kimberly. Hi, I just heard of the person who's looking to rent a room in Cork. I have a room uh, in a three-bed terrace in Turner's Cross with two existing tenants and looking to fill the other room. Please pass on my details and hopefully hopefully we can arrange a viewing soon, says Kenny. Of the two girls now, Emma and uh, her friend fighting uh, over that room. Uh, but it's almost like a kind of a mini interview or a mini meeting uh, to vet a client on air. And why shouldn't, I suppose, from the landlord's perspective, clients be vetted? Uh, we've had a text from a landlord who said... Uh, even through the vetting and the rigorous process that you go through to make sure that a client is suitable for your property, uh, look what I have to face now that a client's moved on. I'll certainly be withholding the uh, the deposit, but it's not going to cover all of this. Mattresses urinated on, broken bed frames, brand new mattress dragged down from the attic, used and soiled without my, my, my permission, broken curtain frames, carpets need replacing. Uh, I only painted uh, this a year ago and it needs full painting again. It's a duplex on the north side. Uh, all the drains have been blocked. I need to get in drain doctor uh, or some or someone to do that. Uh, kitchen utensils obviously left on the cooker uh, have been burned. All of the plastic is uh, all over the ceramic hob. Going to have to replace that. Uh, cook, cooker uh, extractor fan blocked with excessive grease uh, and um, the carpets in some places, literally burnt into the floors uh, where they obviously put cigarettes out. And uh, as a rough idea of cost, uh, and all I have is a month's rent, uh, carpets, if they need cleaning, 250 If they need replacing, 1500 A deep clean, 150 to 250 A new hob, 300 euro. Beds and mattresses, 800 to 1000 Repainting, etc., etc., etc. So either way, I'm way out of pocket, plus there's the loss of earnings for weeks and weeks of repairs. So that's the situation from the landlord's perspective. Now, we'll change the subject and go to line one and to Lisa Marie. Good morning, Lisa Marie. Good morning. Hi, were you named after Elvis' daughter? Yeah, yeah, big time. Was Dad an Elvis <laughs> fan then? Yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah, oh, Mum was. Well, Mum was, okay. Yeah, yeah, big time. Okay. So, you can't judge everyone on social welfare? No. That really annoys me every time I see that. Um, like, any of the comments I've seen on your page and that, and then I just thought I had to speak up because I'm a family carer. I'm doing it nearly 11 and a half years for my daughter. And... It's it's a disgrace the way family carers are treated. Like there's 355,000 of us in this country and um, we've no choice but to care for our loved ones. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, it is a social welfare payment. Um, it shouldn't be. It should be changed over to a HSE payment and give us a little bit of dignity and even just pay us the minimum wage. Um, that's, that's, that's what I feel anyway. What's the exact name of the payment you're getting? Is, is it family carers allowance? No, just carers allowance. Just carers allowance. Yeah. Okay, and that comes under the social welfare remit and under the auspices of the Department of Social Welfare and and, and Protection. And Protection, yeah. 219 euro for full time 
and 102, 103 for a half rate. So that's about 16, 16 euros more than the 203 basic job seekers? Basically, yeah. Okay. For 24-7, 365 days a year. Okay. The only thing, though, is you're, you're not obliged to be looking for a job. That is the job they're paying you to do. Oh, yeah, 24-7. Mm. Um, yeah, that's my job. Even though she's my daughter and I love her to bits, but it, it's... If you got somebody else in to do it, they'd get paid really well. It's about one fifty an hour, if you look at the 24-hour <laughs> clock. Yeah, yeah, basically. Your daughter's 11 and a half. Yeah, she is indeed, yeah. Um, so, obviously, before lockdown, she is school, she is home support, um, that's all she's got. She gets no respite, she's on a, a never-lending waiting list, um, therapies are non-existent, um, and her school's a lifeline. Mm-hmm. And since since that's closed down, she's just turned into a different child. It's it's soul destroying um, for myself and many others around the country. Yeah, no, and, and I know you're responding to some some of the stuff I read out yesterday. Here, here's one that should get you going, right? Because this is yeah. they're coming in in this style now, quite heavily yeah. into the program. The government has been criticised for stopping people's 350 euro COVID nineteen pandemic unemployment payment and other social welfare payments if recipients have travelled abroad for non essential purposes. Uh, and this message came to us. Hi Mick, I was just listening to the holiday topic. Are these people serious that they think it's okay for people on COVID-19 payments to go off abroad on holidays? I know they've lost their jobs, but they're no different from the essential workers that are working throughout the pandemic. If they took holidays, they would not be paid either. And as for the job seekers, I'd love to know how long the majority of these are on this payment. I bet they were on it a long time before the COVID-19. It's the likes of them that should have their payments reduced. The government need to get those in social welfare up off their butts and up to work. Stop letting the taxpayers pay for them. Also, just on the Christmas bonus, the working class don't get a bonus, so... uh, why do the social welfare job seekers get it? They contribute nothing. And that came from Paula. I read that one yesterday. And that's that kind of get, gets your back up a little bit, does it? You, you can't really take a holiday, can you? No, when I no, when I seen that yes, when I seen that yesterday, I thought is this person actually for real? A holiday? What? What's a holiday? You, to see even to, to get to the shops. Like if my husband's at work and my, my only for my mum is off because she's a passenger assistant for disability, um, I, I can get her to sit here till I run and get groceries. Wow. Like literally up and back. That's it. That's no joke. That's for many of us around the country. And can you so, travel anywhere, even on a staycation, a mini staycation? Uh, not a chance. Have, have you checked the prices for staycations? 219 euro a week is what we get. That's it. Okay. <laughs> is there any other income coming into the house? Um, not for myself. Um, my husband is a bus driver and God love him. He works 12 hour days and at the minute he's down two days because of the pandemic. So, um, He's trying to kind of do stuff out the back garden to keep himself sane. Right, okay. And speaking of sanity, has your daughter come through this well or has she regressed in, in the lockdown? No, no she's, she's like a different child. Um, I, I was trying to explain it to somebody yesterday when they asked and it's like a mixture between a child with Alzheimer's and Tourette's. That's wow. the only thing, yeah. That's the only thing I can explain. It's, it's soul destroying. That must be draining. Literally, uh, until she eventually falls asleep at night, you might have a few hours brain space, if you, if you call it that. And and your job, I suppose, really, as a parent, yeah, is to be there for her twenty four seven three six five. Yeah, exactly. And I have two other kids. Like I have a seven year old who's awaiting assessment for Asperger's. This all happened before the lockdown, and I have a little fella, and he's nearly three. So. Um, it's very hard to, to, to diversify like, between the three of them, but especially when she kicks off, 
a kind of domino effects around the house. Mm-hmm. And of course, so, you've yeah. got to give the other children time as well. You've got to give yourself time. You've got to sleep. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you've, got to, you've got to keep your own mental health. <laughs> yeah, in yeah. Good, in good order, if you can. And and, exactly. uh, and this is a social welfare payment. Shouldn't it be called a family hero payment? Uh, well, I think so. Like three hundred and fifty-five thousand of us. And yesterday, enough and enough is enough. Was outside uh, the convention centre, um, trying to highlight like the day services being shot. We, we as family carers need the means testing to be abolished, to be moved over to um, a, a, a payment. Mm-hmm. You, you get nothing. You're not entitled to anything. You're not entitled to rebate on your staycation, first of all, because you're a family carer. Oh, really? No. Oh, because the money that you're getting, you, you might use if you could afford to, to go on the staycation, is, yeah. is coming from, essentially, the social welfare department. You can't... Yes, you're you, not entitled you, you're not entitled to it. Okay. Didn't no. know that. Yeah. The plot sickens, doesn't it? Uh, it does, yeah. It's an interesting one. You, see, you, you, seem, you, you seem to be up there mentally. You seem to be vibrant and, you know, you, you seem to have the right attitude. I think, do you know what? The first three years of her life, um, kind of, I lost myself. And then when I realized even when she was younger, she had to, I had to fight for even like proper pull-ups. Um, proper fit and pull-ups because mm. the HSE was giving me um, to double wrap her when she was older or to do this or oh I was called lazy yes I was lazy because uh, well. she wasn't toilet trained so positivity is the only way that you can survive this rat race I'm afraid okay take a, take a breath stay with us Lisa Marie will you please yes I want to talk to Sharon on line 3 hi Sharon hi Mick how are you I'm good now you and your family set up our wheelie big journey yes on yes, Instagram Exactly, yeah, yeah, and our Facebook page, yeah. And that so shows people what it's like to live life alongside a child with disabilities. Exactly. So our son Noah has a very rare syndrome called Escobar syndrome, and essentially that affects him physically, so he'll be a wheelchair user for life. And so, like, just before the lockdown, Noah would have had scoliosis surgery um, um, up in Crumlin. And, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a weird couple of months, but I think it's now about time that, um, you know, services and support started returning, not even to normal, but it's got better. Um, and we just, need, we just need more help, to be honest, Mick. Mm-hmm. You know, um, no, uh, like we, we has now in fairness, we did have a virtual appointment with the consultant about 12 weeks after the surgery. Right. But we haven't had a physical, um, physiotherapy appointment since. What, what, one so, of the, one of the things that, that I've, I've read in, in a text that you sent us is that carers save the state 10 billion euro annually. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the majority of us get this. No payment at all. Well, well, um, majority of you are, are on survival rates. Exactly, exactly. And we are partners, like my husband is self-employed and he works every hour, um, God can send him. And yeah, it's it's it just has to get to the stage where we are seen as, um, you know, a, a, a massive, I suppose, um, uh, reward to the state that we are staying at home and um, we are caring for our loved ones and we all we're asking for is a little bit of help um, and means testing of the care allowance needs to be abolished it needs to change um, and we just need the government to look at us and see us as more 
um, than what than what they're look they're seeing us at the moment. It's it's gone beyond the joke, really. To be honest, who's, who's the relevant um, minister here? Is it Minister for Health or Minister for Social Protection? <sighs> is it the Minister for Disability? I don't I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know who is the who is, who should be taking care of it. Um, you should have a Minister for Compassion. Yeah, exactly. The tea shock, <laughs> you know, and. You know, like I spent the last month on our page sharing nine stories a day of different carers and every single person's hope for the future is the same. And that's just to be to be seen, to be to be supported um, and to just get the help that we desperately, desperately need. I, I can uh, only imagine, Sharon, that the massive yeah. support that was there for you during COVID, I'm, I'm being sarcastic, I, I, the, I know, the, yeah. the support... That you did have before COVID nineteen must have become non-existent when COVID nineteen hit. Like it's funny we use the word support, and I don't know if I could put that in the same sentence as you know. To be honest with you, make I think it's everything has been a fight. Like I had to go on national television to get Noah's wheelchair. You know the therapists want to help. They want to be there for you, but they can't. They're not given the hours. They're not given the resources. And, you know, you're fighting for absolutely everything. To say what you should be putting your time into, caring for your child, keeping yourself, uh, your head over water mentally, you're not given that opportunity because you're fighting all the time for the basic necessities. And at the end of the day, we're all paying tax. I pay, I worked all the years and I worked after Noah was born even just so he could afford to get a new car that his wheelchair would fit into and you, you, you get to the stage where you're kind of saying am I in this on my own did I pay uh, all that tax what well, did I pay all that tax for life's not meant no. to be this hard no, no, it's not not when you're living in a first world country, you know, and like, I mean, I do appreciate that we are like in a first world country. And I know people are listening now saying, but like you get this and you get that. You don't. You fight for absolutely everything. Say, say hello to Lisa Marie. I think she'd agree with you. Hiya. <laughs> Hiya, how are you? I've been watching your campaign. I sent in the photo in that of myself and Shana too. It's, it, you're, you're great. Oh, thanks very much. Thanks a million. You know, when you're afforded a platform on social media, I think it's very important that you give everyone a voice. the only way we can get our voice across. And um, just to to say it's Heather Humphreys that um, is the Minister for Social Protection. I I was wondering which one was relevant, yeah. Oh, and she's more or less said that we get get enough. (laughs) I've seen seen letters and it's all over social media um, to back up. She said we get enough. Um, more or less, how dare we uh, ask for it to be moved over? Um, Stephen Donnelly needs to be in the mix, and also uh, the Taoiseach as well. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's Anne Rabbit, and yeah. I know there's a few of them there I that haven't like, been yeah. given. So. Exactly, and like there's a new government there. Um, you know, this is the time where they should say, you know what, we're stepping up for the most vulnerable in our society. Enough is enough. You know. Stop exactly. talking about, you know, roads and they're spending two billion on a children's yeah. hospital that I know Noah will never see the inside of because it will not be ready. It will not be built. And, you know, to listen to that and you're there fighting for a wheelchair for there are his legs, it's it's disgusting really. Like it's yeah. it makes no sense. I, I was searching um, for information exactly. this morning, guys, and I don't want to be rubbing it into anybody, but um I was searching for information this morning as to how many TDs attended the convention centre since the election of the new government. 
Uh, now, I couldn't find the exact information. I did find that it's circa 50 grand a day. But I oh, know yeah. for a fact, looking at these guys on telly and on the weekend politics, there's never enough people in that room to warrant it's it's higher for 50 grand a day. Yeah. Doyle Aaron would suffice. Yeah. Doyle Aaron is sitting empty while the Doyle itself moves to this convention centre. That 50 grand yeah. a day would go a long way to wheelchairs and to some respite and some home help, which when you get it, by the way, is only half an hour. Um, oh my God! Yeah, for your affected yeah. sector. Yeah, the six, like you 16, know. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no Gwen, no Gwen, Gwen. Yeah, the sixteen thousand that those junior ministers were supposed to get, like, was laid out. Yeah. The fellow family care laid it out. How many therapies? How many this? How many that? That it could go to, and that's only sixteen thousand euro. Yeah. You know, it's uh, like my grandfather passed away last um, December and the day after he passed away, they got an extra fifteen minutes of home help. The day after he passed away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My God. So uh, my 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 mother and her siblings spent the last remaining months of his life fighting for that. And what really goes no. me is like, they won't take your temperature at the airport. They won't take the temperature of Americans <laughs> arriving in. But they'll sure as sure as hell check do you have a social security number, social welfare yeah. number, and, and if you're leaving yeah. the states, so they can take money off you. Well, as Marie says, care alone should not be social welfare. No, like we don't have the uh, we don't have the choice or the opportunity to go to work because we have no one to care for our children if we do. Well, if, if, he, if Heather Humphreys is saying that the 219 that Lisa Marie is getting there is enough for 24-7-365. Uh, Imagine if they were in the hospital for that length of time, how much it would cost. Yes. You know, it, it doesn't equate. It doesn't, you know, we're not asking for, we're not asking to be millionaires. Um, no, no, like somebody for, said. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we, we, we are a republic. We, we are a decent I'd say Christian, and I don't want to be religious, but you know, we're a decent Christian society, I suppose. Well, they'd uh, like to think so. We, we aspire really? to be anyway. Uh, and yeah, as a yeah. duty of care to our fellow citizens, then perhaps, um, perhaps the remit for this budget should come under uh, the public expenditure budget. Exactly. Because we all have collective responsibility to look after the most vulnerable. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, when you look at the likes of Jack and Jill and, you know, services like Bumbleins and that, they're all charity-based services. Yeah. And with, without them, you have no idea the position families will be in. Like, it yeah. would be, they will be in so much worse state than what they are now. So why is it that charities are picking up what the government and the country should be doing? It shouldn't be happening. Um, you know, and they're, they're constantly fundraising because that's the only way they can survive because they themselves get no government funding, yet they're keeping the country afloat. But they're also leaving the government off the hook. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's yeah. the point. They're getting yeah. off the hook. They're getting away with it. Yeah. And you it's know? the same with um, people having to, you know, raise um, funds for treatment abroad and everything like that. None of that, you know... That's the government are getting off the hook because they think, right, we leave these people long enough and eventually they'll set up a GoFundMe or something and they'll get what they need and then we're after saving X, Y and Z and it shouldn't come to that. Mm-hmm. See, they think we've nothing left in the tank, but I can tell you what, I, I, I know I'll keep going on till I get off this planet. I, I will as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sure, look, we've, we've all seen the very well publicised fight of Vera Toomey. She was on the programme exactly, uh, yeah. a couple of days. You're all individual Vera Toomey's fighting for your own particular child mm-hmm. and your own yeah. particular set of circumstances. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what happens. We get, you know, families get 
put against each other because we all were all trying to fight our individual cases. And you know, when I was on, when I had to fight for Noah's wheelchair that time, I made it damn clear to you know Enable Ireland and that um, saying that look, lads, I can't just get the funding for Noah's wheelchair because like that means that someone else could lose out. So we kept going until we got enough for funding for five other families wow. for the equipment they need. It's not just the wheelchair. So, Doesn't it have to have professional adjustments and all that? Oh, oh yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's all fine. Like, once you have it, you're fine. But it's to get it in the first place. Like, we need to buy a seat for Noah for 2,500 euros because they told us that he won seat already, which was his wheelchair. So he wasn't entitled to another piece of seating equipment. And that this was his seat to sit in to have his dinner. You know, this is the that's the attitude you're up against when you're when when you're have a child with a with special needs. Mm. You know, wow. so it's it's yeah yeah, and they they wonder then why mentally you'd you break down. You you, you know, and you're, also you're become a burden on the state. If, if they gave oh, you the yeah. resources in the first place to live a a life of dignity or as dignified as possible with your child. Yeah. yeah, and I can understand people are listening to this that aren't in this situation thinking, God almighty, they're, you know, they're giving out now and sure, it, trust me, we don't want to be doing this. I, I want to be, be doing there. stuff with my children. <laughs> but I was just about to say, I want to be there taking Noah off here, there and everywhere and having as best a life as we can. You know, okay. rather than do, fighting this, and I know Lisa Marie's the same way as well. We don't, we don't want to. This drains the life out of us. Fighting, yeah. and complaining, and giving out all the time. But we've no other choice. We're we're backed into a corner. You know. See, unless it's, it lands at your door, nobody's. Yeah. No, to nobody knows. No, until no. the problem is their own. Our wheelie yeah, big no. journey is the Instagram. Um, is is there a Facebook page as well? There is the same name. Yeah, yeah. Our wheelie W H E E L Y. W-H-E-E-L-Y and the campaign is finishing tomorrow and I was I was going to go up to the doll but I forgot they were taking holidays so oh yeah so, <laughs> so I'll have to wait until they're back but I, I probably will annoy their Twitter accounts for a while I well think. done oh, Lisa Marie and Sharon I, I, I salute your positivity and your resilience and, and hang in there and let's hope things get better uh, let's hope that's this new government idea. aspires to a better republic a one that's fair and equal to all especially the underprivileged uh, the undernourished, the underhoused. Uh, let's let's hope that's the aspiration of Michal Martin as Taoiseach. And let's hope he'll leave legacy. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank, thanks a million. Thank you. Okay, thanks. thanks. Bye-bye. 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 Uh, on this uh, coming Tuesday for the Neil Prandevil Show. Uh, Sharon, from my wheelie big journey is amazing. Her campaign has opened my eyes to how little help there is for parents. Means test for carers needs to go. I hope somebody's listening. Hi, Mick. My next door neighbour is in her mid-70s. Lost her husband two years ago. She is the sole full-time carer of her adult daughter who is wheelchair bound. She also has multiple health issues including epilepsy and is completely dependent for everything. Her daughter usually attends a day centre five days a week which gives my neighbour a chance to do her shopping, go to Mass, get some rest. However, the centre was closed because of COVID-19. This poor lady was stuck at home for a couple of months on her own with her daughter. She couldn't chance even letting other family members into the house as her daughter wouldn't, uh, would, or sorry, her daughter would have 
a compromised immune system. She has no idea when the centre will reopen and has no support from the state and is now just exhausted. Can't come on the air because I'm working. And we think we have problems, eh? Now, Cork families are under pressure as disability services are soling during the COVID-19 restrictions. And uh, I want to thank for uh, hold, thank you for holding Elaine Keeley. Hi, Elaine. Hi, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Now, you're, you're a mum of a girl with special needs. That's right, yeah. I have a... My daughter's name is Beth. She's three and a half. So she attends the early intervention services in Enable Ireland in Curaheen. Okay. So, um, as you just said there, the services have obviously, um, the centres closed um, in March, the middle of March. So Beth hasn't had a face-to-face therapy session since uh, February of this year, um, whereas she would have been attending Enable Ireland probably at least every two weeks, if not every week, um, sometimes for physiotherapy and occupational therapy and speech therapy as well. So um, in the meantime, we've had some teletherapy um, sessions with the centre, but nothing face-to-face since February. Okay, so tell us about Beth's condition. It's global development delay. Yeah, so she has a developmental delay um, she doesn't have a medical diagnosis. Um, they haven't been able to diagnose her um, of yet, but she, um, uh, from her day-to-day point of view, um, she's not walking yet, so she's three and a half. Um, you know, she will need a wheelchair um, in the short to medium term, um, and she has uh, a, a few medical conditions. She has epilepsy, um, and she's profoundly deaf as well, so she's pre-verbal, so she's not speaking yet. So, you know, the services that she would have availed of are really essential for her, you know, um, physiotherapy, obviously, to try and she's just starting to to get up on her feet. She just started crawling there before Christmas. So, um, you know, when when a child developmentally is sort of entering a a sort of a spurt, it's really important to capitalise on that, especially in early intervention um, at that age, you know. Um, So we just sort of feel like an opportunity may have been missed over the last six months because she hasn't been able to avail of mm-hmm. of her usual therapy. So, so we've been forced to um, to avail of private physiotherapy services uh, to try and fill the gap. Um, so she's been going for private physiotherapy since uh, the start of June, and I know a number of other families from Neighbour Ireland have had to do the same thing. So they've, you know, been paying for private physiotherapy or private occupational therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, at at great expense. Sure, great expense. But how ha- have the good people in the Lavana Centre been good to her? Are for oh her. God, they're, yeah. yeah, they're fantastic, you know, and they're, it's been such a challenging time for them. And I know that they're so keen to, to see all the kids again, you know, with a great relationship with their team. And yeah. Let, let, let's let's so give hard, them a plug you know. because, because what, what they do oh, is incredible, absolutely. okay? Enable Ireland absolutely. Cork Services, here's what they do they provide support to children and young people with a disability aged between zero uh, years to 18 years. So from birth to 18 years, who are living in Cork. Uh, I suppose that's Cork County. Or the, the, the greater area of Cork. Service provision is informed by the biophysio-social model of service delivery in collaboration with children and young people with disabilities and with their families. Now, the ethos here is to support their development and to enable active participation in community life. Uh, they need funding as well. Uh, it's part funded by the state to provide yeah. services to over, wait for this, 8,500 children and adults mm-hmm. with disabilities 
in 15 counties in Ireland. So the Levana Centre is looking after yeah. Cork. But the Greater Enable Ireland body looks after 8,500 children. Uh, they have yeah. to raise 2 million euros in additional funding to meet the costs of delivering their disability services. 2 million. It's kind of a drop in the ocean when you look at... Uh, that's the cost of Simon Coveney's R for five years. I know. Well, sorry, it's twice the cost. Twice the cost. I don't want to, I don't want to be disingenuous. But, but two million with the way the government is throwing money around is a small amount of money. However, as we say, because people are prepared to go on fundraise, it kind of lets the government off the hook. Uh, this year, as a result of the impact of COVID-19 in our charity shops and fundraising, we are facing a potential loss of 1.5 million euros, they say. This income is vital to help us continue to provide therapy and support services to children and adults. So they need support to raise about a million to finish their projects. And uh, you can go and shop at their charity shops. Or you can donate online at www.enableireland.ie. And if you would, if you're listening to this program in Cork, include the reference Cork so that the money is sent to the right place. Have you an idea when they're opening again? We have a statement here for them. Uh, which yeah, they, they, um first day that their reopening started a couple of weeks ago. So they're they're trying their very, very best to get to get us back in. Um, early intervention services. I think in the HC resumption roadmap, they recommended from September to November for early intervention services. But I know the team in Enable are trying to get us back in sooner Quite than that. Well, here, can. Here's, they, here's the good news in that regard. Uh, we are working very closely with our colleagues in the HSC on the safe reopening of all services throughout the country, including our Cork service. This includes securing funding for the additional costs associated with our reopening plans. Enable Ireland and the HSC are very much aware of the need to comply with all public health obligations, particularly when we are providing services to vulnerable ad- children and adults. Throughout the recent COVID-19 restrictions, Enable Ireland's Children's Service in Cork has continued to provide a range of support services to our service users and their families, even though our centre was closed on the advice of public health. These services were a blend of virtual supports and essential face-to-face services. You'll agree with all of that. Yeah, you've, you've had experience of all of that. Well, here's the good news. Yeah. We are happy to say that from the 13th of July, we have commenced the first phase of reopening the Levana Centre and have begun running occupational therapy and physiotherapy clinics for a number of children. Staff are returning to the centre to prepare caseloads for their clinics and therapy sessions, and we will continue with the implementation of our phased return over the coming weeks. We hope to increase our centre-based services in a manner that's in line with public health and HSE guidance and will ensure a safe environment for everyone. So they're already at it. and They obviously have to comply with HSE guidelines and public health guidelines, but it's looking like you'll have face-to-face support in the very near future. Can I just say, Mick, though, they, they did, they, they sent that statement to the parents of the centre as well, but they also, um, they're reliant on hate, additional HSE funding so that they can continue their reopening. Um, so they've entered phase one of their reopening, but they won't be able to continue to um, increase the capacity of the building unless they're granted the funding by the HSE that they've requested. So that's why we're, we're myself and another couple of the mums from Enable are trying to I suppose, expedite the process from the HSE's point of view and just to make sure that they get the money that they need to reopen so that they can... Do, see do, doesn't that fall... Things. Wouldn't that fall under... Is it seen as education or is it seen as intervention services? Wouldn't that fall under the 375 million budgets to get schools um, open? Probably not. It doesn't, no. Um, but I know they have a separate fund... Um, for health services um, outside of education. Um, and I know, you know, positively yesterday the, the government reversed the decision to cut disability services funding by 1%, um, which was supposed to happen this year, which 
I think would have cost um, Enable Ireland 40,000 this year. So that's very positive. But hopefully they can continue now and, you know, commit the funding to Enable Ireland that they need because, I mean, it's essentially a charity as the girls ahead of me were saying, you know, it's it's a charitable organisation and the HSE funding is, you know, it's essential, but most of their funding is from fundraising and also from commercial um, sponsorship mm-hmm. and a lot of that has been lost now during the pandemic. Um, Elaine, I, wa- I want to read you a text that will probably make your blood boil. In the, in the last interview, okay. I, I, I kind of praise it out that uh, the the allowance was about 150 an hour if you're looking at 24/7 care uh and I I might have suggested that you know a, as a job that's way 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 below minimum wage anyway this uh, it elicited this text I cannot understand how one can refer to rearing one's own child as a job you chose to have your child it's your mor- moral obligation to rear your child and not my obligation I am a PAYE employee who chose not to have children and that's signed Sheila in Douglas. What do you make of that? I mean, yeah, you choose to have children, but you don't necessarily choose, you know, when your child is born with special needs, it's not something that you would have planned for or expected. I mean, I'm I'm working, I work part-time, so I, I don't qualify for the CARES amount, so Sheila can rest easy <laughs> that I'm not taking her money. But like that, it's, um, you know, I'm, I can only do that because we're lucky enough to have you know, fantastic family support and also a fantastic child minder who we trust in 50 with, with Beth um, and all her complexities, you know. Um, but for a lot of parents, they just can't, they want to go back to work, but they can't. There's no, and it's because there's no um, support provided for them. There's nowhere that their children can be safely for a day away from their parents and to be looked after to the same degree. Um, so, you know, um, it's not a it's not a situation that any parent chooses to be in. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I also come back to the, the fact that we live in a republic. A republic forms a government in which the state is ruled by representatives of the citizen body. Modern republics, of course, not monarchies. They're founded on the idea that sovereignty rests with the people, but with all of the people, and that mm-hmm. inalienable rights attach to all of the people, and especially children. In, in certain respects. So, yeah. you know, well, in, as Sharon pointed out as well, carers actually save the, the state a lot of money. <laughs> so it's not that they're a drain on society, they're certainly saving, you know. And the thing about early intervention services is if they're employed effectively when a child is young enough, that actually it reduces, you know, the amount that they'll cost the state in the future if they can get to a point where they can live independently or, you know, perhaps work part time um, or things like that, you know. So, Putting the the effort and the money and the support and the services in early in a child's life can actually save the state money mm-hmm. in the long run, you know. Yeah, but you, you'd feel for the last two ladies there to the pin of their collar, trying to keep things going, keeping their own mental health and positivity uh, to the fore yeah, as well, and and, and, and you know something, that trying to help others at the same time. Yeah, exactly. We're, uh, you know, we're trying to do the same. You know, getting the centre reopened for. I mean, we have a lot of friends in, in Naval Ireland now, and a lot of the other parents, and everybody's really struggling at the moment. And a lot of parents are seeing their children regress. You know, over the last six months, um, or certainly plateau, and it's really difficult to see your child regress. You know, um, when, especially when they've been doing so well all along. Um, and just something Sharon mentioned about her son's wheelchair. Um, Beth was assessed for a wheelchair in February and uh, apart from COVID, the waiting list for her wheelchair was, you know, 12 to 18 months. 
So that's something that she, she started preschool in September. So she really would need it for September. But before the lockdown, it was going to be next summer at the earliest. So who knows now um, uh-huh. when she'll get that. And, uh, you know, to buy it, to pre-alter privately for a child, it has to be fully customised. You know, you're talking over €5,000. So um, it's very difficult okay. to prepare it. Elaine, t- tell me quickly about your petition. So um, I've started a petition. It's it's um, to eupetition.org um, and it's to the government essentially to um, to try and get the HSE funding passed um, and just, as I say, just to expedite the process and try and make sure that um, the funding goes to where it needs to go, particularly now that they've committed that extra percentage um, of funding for this year that perhaps that can be put towards um, you know, the extra costs of reopening the centres, um, particularly in Able Ireland centres so, around the yeah. country. Okay, so pe- people can find the petition on www.openpetition.eu and how do they find it in there? Um, so it's titled Let's Reopen Disability Services um, and my name is on it, Elaine Kehley. Okay, Elaine Kehley. Oh, th- sorry, I'm calling you Keely. Uh, <laughs> Elaine Kehley. <laughs> Yeah, okay. that's right. Thanks, yeah. Elaine. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Thanks Elaine. Thanks, bye-bye. One Bye. final quick call on the topic, and that is from Emma. Uh, sorry, Gemma. Good morning, Gemma. Hi, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Now, you get an allowance for your son who has Asperger's. Well, he falls under the criteria for Asperger's. He has a very mild, but he's actually a type 1 diabetic as well. Okay. And I just think myself, Mick, that it, like, the money is a help, but it's it's definitely not enough, like... How much is the money? Two nineteen. Two nineteen. And are you full time caring? Yeah, I haven't worked since my son. My son is nearly ten, and I haven't worked. I haven't worked since he's born. Like cause his care. The only, the only, the only thing that I can say in regards to school is when he goes to school, like he's taken care of so well by his SNA. She takes great care of his. Of his, of his needs he needs like blood checks and injections she kind of monitors his food and what when can he eat such at such a time um, I'd love to be able to go to work but I just can't like it's it's just not his care is around the clock it's constant constant monitoring for the diabetes and even if even if the school attendance allowed you some work you'd probably still be worried about him would you? Well, you see, like, I tried to go back to work before, Mick, and, like, something could happen. His bloods would be running high, and I'd have to go back, and I'd have to check on him. And if the school are anyway worried, like, I, I have to take him home, like. You have to go and collect. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I just think that text earlier from that person, when they were given out about, oh, it's, it's your problem if your child has... It's your problem if you have a child. It's up your job to look after it. Yeah, that was a bit harsh to be. To be fair, like you know, I mean, nobody, no parent asks for their child to be sick. Um, I'd love, as I said, I'd love to be able to go to work, but I just can't. It's just his care is just too full on. Um, his SNA in school is brilliant, and I have no worries when he's in school because she just takes such good care of him. Like, and all the school itself is brilliant. And would would you also contend that as your child's full time carer, you're actually saving the state money and thereby saving Sheila money from her PAYE? I believe so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Listen, it was a bit harsh. It was a bit harsh to say something like that. I think it was. There's no need to be kind of. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. We're here to reflect them as best we can. But Gemma, thank you very much. 
Thanks, Mick. Hang in there. Thank you very much. Thank I care for my 31-year-old confined to a wheelchair. As his carer, I get 109.50 per week. Uh, but how come if anyone fosters, they get 350 a week, says Eileen. Two different things, I think. But carer getting 109.50 a week, foster is getting uh, 350 a week. And we do have a text on uh, fostering. Uh, hi, Mick. I'm just making an inquiry. I'm fostering my grandchild. We've been through tough times over the last few years. I was planning a break for a holiday outside of Ireland. I asked the HSE last week and told them I was going on holidays with my grandchild. I was told I can't take my grandchild with me. I asked them when this policy came out and they told me it was around since March, but I wasn't told this until last week. Uh, I was just wondering, were other families being told this too? I would be staying in a friend's house and we'd be doing the normal things like wearing a mask and washing our hands too. I just wonder... Uh, was anybody else told this? We're back in a moment. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And a very good morning to you. Uh, it's seven and a half minutes to 11 o'clock now. And we have Pat Buckley, TD for East Cork on line one. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm very good. Now, of course, there's going to be a lot of news in the papers and in the media and on the radios today about TDs going on long holidays. But you're not. No, 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 no. Okay. Um... I think the perception out there, even with the COVID, despite we wouldn't have been up in Dublin as often as we should have been, um, it has never, ever been so busy, Mike. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we're at a vulnerable stage now where, you know, the main issues here are people can't get back from countries without visas. We have the major issues with um, school places and what's going to happen with the schools, mm-hmm. the schools transport, um, the disability sector being left behind. And, you know, and for the very fact, Mike, that there is actually, you know, the restrictions on foreign travel, you know, we're lucky to be above ground, so let's just keep going and doing what we always do and do it best. Okay, with, with, with a Doyle that's set, you know, very, very few times uh, in its month, uh, this new Doyle, in its month in existence, and now, you know, you're taking 150% more holidays than the time you've actually been in government. Um, will, will ministers and, and will responsible members of uh, different portfolios uh, be actually taking holidays or are they still working? Well, I, I know within our own party of Sinn Féin, I mean, I've been speaking to um, a justice spokesperson this morning, Martin Kinney. He's back up there Wednesday. Social Clark, which is uh, our defence spokesperson, she's up here next Wednesday. So we'll be all working anyway. I mean, it's, 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 just, it's, it's just the thing we do. And as I said, uh, we're elected with the people to work for the people. Yeah, I mean, look, you will certainly take downtime. I'm hoping to take a couple of days now over the weekend. I'll stay at home with the family and enjoy that. You know, and I think it's more precious to than worrying about going away on a holiday. Mm-hmm. I think the, um, the weather's taken all of our minds off the fact that we're coming up to the August weekend tomorrow. I couldn't believe it, Mike, to be honest with you. And it's only now what you've said is, I, I don't even know how many days or weeks the, the recess is. Mm-hmm. How, how often, Pat, have you been in the Doyle since your election? How long have you been a TD, by the way? Uh, this is my second term now. Okay. Uh, I couldn't even tell you. Um, I'm up here a lot. I mean, we have separate committees and you're meeting, actually. While I'm talking to you, you know, I have two outside here, next to the house. Are, are the committees yeah, a gravy train, Pat? Meetings? Are they a gravy train? Do you get no. allowances for being on committees? No. No, no. no. There's a chair's allowance and that's it. Uh, the committees are vital, Mike. Uh, I had the honour of sitting on the Future Mental Health Care Committee and on the Health Committee for the Santa Care Report. And they're, they're probably one of the, the most important assets for a public rep because it's the only chance you have 
to go face to face with anybody in any part of the establishment or any part of the HSC and whatever and try and get clarity and answers. Um, it's probably the most important work that you will do up here in Linster House besides um, legislation. Okay. And and my contention that the government doesn't need to be sitting in the convention centre anymore because there's so few of you attending. Couldn't you be using Doyle Aaron again? I know this is the last day now. Yeah, well, you know what? I agree with you. Um, I have, and I'll be totally honest with you, you know me, I've always been straight talking. Um, nobody that I have spoke to liked where we are at the moment. It is fairly well attended. It just looks very sparse because of the size of the place. But surely that would fit in Doyle Aaron. Uh, I would certainly. Leinster House. Well, I wear my mask on public transport. I wear my mask here in Linster House. I can't see why we can't wear our masks in Linster House and do the job. And we could even work on a ratio basis. You know? I mean, I'd be all for it. Yeah. But unfortunately, there seems to be a crossover here between what government was saying and what SIPA are saying. Yeah. yeah. So Look, it's, it's, we're going into interesting times, Pat. I, I've been accused of being a Finna Faller on this program, and a Finna Gaylor, and a, and a Shinner. Uh, I've never been accused of being a Green Party candidate, although, although you know, I, I do aspire to Green. Uh, I do aspire to, how can I say? I don't agree with the with the electoral politics. I, I don't agree with climate justice activists, you know. Um, yes, yes. W- w- what I see happening is the environmentalism, which is a noble cause, is being hijacked by socially progressive policies of taxation. I mean, it's, it's almost as if the Green Party want, totally, want, want, they, they want to save the world by freezing one pensioner at a time. I totally agree with you, uh, even from the first line that you've said. And, I, and why I say this is, um, I, said, I remember sitting on the Climate Action Committee last year, Two o'clock till half past nine before the bell went for vote. One of the proposals they were discussing was this 80 euros a ton carbon tax. Right? That would have put nine euros and 76 pence or euro cent on a bag of coal. Mm -hmm. Now, that is not the way to deal with climate change. Sinn Féin had policies. One was actually the microgeneration scheme. Yeah, I don't want to get into a a political broadcast because I don't have time anyway, Pat. I I need to take a break for news at 11. But listen, you're not taking holidays. Take a few days with your family and you're working away is your contention. Absolutely. That's, that's your job, Doyle or no Doyle, recess or no recess. No, my email right, my, my email's be open, my office will be open, the phone lines are open, just contact you, us, and we'll be back to Alright, Pat. First time talking to you, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a million. Pat Buckley, Sinn Féin TD for East Cork. Thanks, Pat. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And in a completely vain attempt to get uh, across some of the uh, text, isn't it? There's no hope. Uh, not a chance that I'll get to all of them. So apologies if you text and you don't hear your text coming out. We are simply inundated. On COVID, if it's going to go on like this with the COVID hysteria, they might as well bring the world to an end with a nuclear bomb designed for the purpose. 17 new cases out of 4.9 million people and people are freaking out. That was a, 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 a thing the other day. It's point zero 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 three four of 1%. Uh, on the GAA, I was at a GAA game last night and with at least 400 people there. The rules don't really apply to the players. There were no temperature checks for players being carried out. They're just lying about it on their return to play forms. What could be healthier than fresh air on a fine summer's evening? Watches the great, watching the greatest field game in the world. The experts have taken it away from us. Tracy Kennedy is being very quiet and compliant. Of course we know why she's been quiet. Don't rock the boat. Uh, says John and on the GA again. I can't believe the GA are so passive, weak and compliant. This totally ridiculous figure of only 80 spectators allowed at matches is scandalous. Ireland is time to regain our freedom. Let's stand up and fight. Uh, says Sean in Glasheen. On the subject of going abroad, high make in relation to the COVID situation abroad, Niagara Falls just shows how both the US and Canada are handling it in stark contrast from one another. Of course, it straddles both 
major countries. From the uh, pictures on the news, the Hornblower tour boat on the Canadian side is only allowing six people on at a time out of a 700-person capacity. However, on the US side, the Maid of the Mist, that's the famous one, the Maid of the Mist tour boat looked jam-packed, even though they say they're operating at 50% capacity. I'm glad I had the chance to visit Niagara Falls before this pandemic came along. But if you're going, try and visit it if you're COVID-aware from the Canadian side. So says Aaron from Middleton. One more on the teachers. Hello, Mick. I was reading the post on the Red FM Facebook page about the teacher worried about going back to school. And the response from people is mind-blowing. People are saying to her to get over it and that they have been working all through the pandemic and that life must go on. Why should any person knowingly have to put their life at risk for their job? I've been living here in Vietnam since March this year. In January of this year, Vietnam got its first case of COVID-19 and they shut down its schools immediately. Classes were moved online and remained that way while the cases of COVID were spreading rapidly throughout the world. In March, when the virus became out of control, Vietnam went into full lockdown. They closed everything, including their borders, except for supermarkets, pharmacies and other essential services. The police enforced mask wearing and social distancing to two pe- uh, to two people in a group. Social gathering, I think, to two people in a group. Anybody refusing to wear a mask outdoors and gathering in groups were subjected to a fine. There was absolutely no panic buying. Supermarkets remained fully stocked without any price hikes or ridiculous queues of people fighting each other for products. Everybody here was respectable to one another and they were following regulations for themselves and others. You couldn't enter any shop or premises without a mask and your temperature was taken by infrared thermometer and you were provided with hand sanitizer to enter. Vietnam managed to contain the virus and it never felt unsafe here because rules and regulations were followed. Now we're in July and everything is back open. Life has returned to 90% normality, but the borders still remain closed. Vietnam has allowed the entry of limited specialized workers with a mandatory two-week quarantine when they enter. They were all set to open their borders on July 1st to a number of neighboring Asian countries, but a second wave has postponed that opening. I think Ireland is rushing into reopening the country and making life unnecessarily scary, and the government are forcing people to put their lives at risk. It makes you wonder uh, when you feel safer in a poor foreign country than the idea of returning home. There are plenty of teachers out there. I'm a frontline worker, and so it's my partner who's going to stay at home and do the virtual teaching with my seven-year-old child while the teacher is still at home on their full pay. Get a grip and get the teachers back to school so our kids can get back to normal. They should wear masks and split up the, cl- uh, the classrooms. Uh, regards, said Killian. Uh, teachers should be considered frontline workers, says Killian. End of are the uh, last two words of that particular communication. Now to Claire on line one. Hi, Claire. Hi, how are you? Oh, very good. Now, people do a lot of work for free in the media industry. Who are you telling? In order to get a foot in the door. I think people, a lot of people, youngsters especially, uh, can be on the border of maybe being exploited by the media because it's such a... Like radio in particular, I've experienced this. People love to come in and see a radio studio. It looks like a, an airplane <laughs> yeah. cockpit. And I'd say, I'd love yeah, to do I that one day. And I was that yeah. person. Um, and, and so anyone coming through the system, I have always tried to, uh, to cater to and deal with, uh, with a tremendous amount of respect if I could. Uh, have patience, show, show them what it's like. You never knew who, the, who, who they're going to become someday. You'll never know if you're on the way down and they're, they're on the way up. They might, uh, they might save your fall. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. one, one guy, he used to make coffee for me 30 years ago. Um, yeah. one guy became the program director of one of the largest groups uh, of radio stations uh, under ownership in Europe. Yep. Uh, yeah, just give someone a chance, give them their foot in the door, and you never know where they go. 
Yeah, but people, people, you know, young people can be exploited in the media in general. Oh, totally. Oh, totally. In my case, it's exactly like that. Um, I started out in 2008 in St. John's College. Went to adult education, guidance counsellor, what would you like to do in college? Oh, look, you like photography, you like media, do this course. I said, grand. One year, two years, finished, passed it. Took a year out to save money, went to England, got a 2-1 degree in TV, video, um, media degree, BA honours, got a 2-1. Was over in England, um, said, look, I'll give it a chance now we're having a 2-1 degree, maybe I'll, maybe I'll make it in England. Thought the world is my oyster. The only work I got was, I was working with Falcons Rugby Club, I was doing live video feeds, I was doing... Um, match pre-op interviews etc all for free all for not free not even a penny for petrol to get to the match and back all for free this was now this was in fairness the university this was set up through the university but not by the university it was just someone on my course he was enterprising now the same fella is a presenter for a TV program TV station in the UK now so, mm-hmm. like, he has made it, like... Okay, so some make it, some don't. He was doing a master, so I just followed in his footsteps. Okay. that's on my TV. Um, I worked with the radio station. They were saying about radio stations, so I've seen the inside of radio stations. I'm actually thinking about just going into radio at this stage because I'm just sick of the TV, video, film side of it. I'm not getting any work out of it. Um, I worked at the radio station because at the time it was only 2013 and live video... Streaming along with radio stations was very new. So we used to go out to various um, community events, live stream lectures in the college, all for free. Um, again, all for free. Well, what, then, what are your particular skill sets now then? You've, you, you seem well, to have a lot of them. Um, list long length of my arm. I can do video, camera. Um, I know all the Adobe package. I've used Canon 5D Mark II, Mark III. It just keeps going. Um, I, I'm, I worked in the INEC for six months on an internship. Again, 50 or a month, 50 or a week on top of my dole. It was a great idea at the time. Why they ever scrapped it was an absolute joke. Um, okay. I went in in June. Um, best job I ever had in my entire life. I did the lighting for the Wolf Tones one night. All by myself. Mm-hmm. It's a great venue. I, I saw Don McLean play there. What? I saw Don McLean play there one night. It's a great venue. Yeah, I met so many famous people there. I met um, the guy that does Butler. Met him. Brendan Grace? Met, met Brendan Grace. Conversation with him. Met the Wolf Tones. Or a good list of young men. The Coronas. Mel um, May. Met all these people while working and was getting paid for it. It was the best time of my life ever. Mm-hmm. And why they ever got rid of those internships is an absolute disgrace. They should be brought back. Now, the only thing about it was, unfortunately, the INC couldn't keep me on afterwards. But I'd be more... I, I'm a lighting designer. Like, I've worked as a lighting designer. It's on my CV. But, like, and the same thing then. I went to RTE from there. I actually ended up meeting a guy one day, just helped him out, got him a... A runner cable, and I said, I used to work in RT, went to RT for a full week, a full week, and work placement, and I applied for a job afterwards in RT. Now I am a qualified lighting director. 
and I can't get the job with RT. Well, they're they're not exactly hiring at the moment, are they? No, but this is 2015 or 16, like. Okay. This is when they were hiring. So you could you could technically go on the road with a travelling concert show yeah, or theatre show. Had, or If I had 10,000 euro, I would go out and buy a van load of lights and travel around the country. I know a guy that's done it. I know one or two people in that game too. He went to Kerry ETV, he got his van load of lights and he's in Derry this week, he's in Kerry the next week, he's working on productions. If I had 10,000 euro in my pocket today, that's exactly what I'd do. Can you borrow it? (sighs) Borrowing, like, and pay it back. It's it's a chance to take. Are you going to get the work or have you the connections? The connections is a huge thing in media. Oh, it's always is. Well, this this guy now that's done that, he was in St. John's with me, okay? Mm-hmm. And we just happened to meet because I actually did a digital media production course. That's where I learned all the Adobe and stuff. He was doing the video production course down in Kerry ETV at the same time. Okay. And, like, I have so much education behind me and not enough work experience. I went for an interview last year for that video production course and they told me you're overqualified for us. What are you going, you're not going to learn anything. I'm oh, overqualified. Overqualified. You know you know all that already. Too much studying done. Mm-hmm. So what what do you think you're going to do now? What, what does the future hold? Is, are, are there well, opportunities at, abroad? At the moment, I work as a security guard. I've worked security since this when I left school in 2002. I went into event security in 2009, and that's based on my bread and butter. Like anyone in the media, when they're starting out, you have to have a bread and butter job. And that's exactly what I'm doing at the moment. I just, uh, I had the pandemic payment. I am working with a company just two nights a week, part-time. But you could could then be lighting director of the Everyman, the Opera House, Three Arena. Exactly. I worked in the Everyman years ago in a TV scheme, and that's why actually got me wanting to do St. John's. What about making corporate video ads for companies and that kind of thing? I know, it's just... Where to start? So much, yeah. It, I know it sounds like you're giving me great advice, but it's just like I need to buy an Apple computer. I need to buy this. Like I've, I've had no computer since 2013 that won't run the Adobe package. I'd have to sign up for the Adobe package. It's all money, and then no one has money. Yes, I know you're saying take a loan, but hard to get to. Yeah. All right, Claire. Will you stay in touch with us? Leave us know how you get on because you'd, you'd feel for yeah, somebody with so much education and so much to offer. Even wants to offer me an internship or anything like that. Wants to take me on has a helping hand for free work. Look, I'm there. I leave my number at the radio station. Okay, I might have a contact with you. We can put your number forward to. We'll see what happens. Okay, perfect. All right, Claire. Thank Thanks, Emil. All Thank the best. Bye, bye. Thanks. Bye, bye. Uh, you can call the program on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six is our text. And you can WhatsApp on that number as well zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six, and you can email the program Neil at redfm dot ie. It's nineteen minutes after eleven now. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six Red FM. Thursday mornings, Neil Prenderville Show. Good morning to Dan. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Hi, how's it going? Now, this call was prompted uh, by our call to Jeju Island yesterday. Uh, that's an island off South Korea uh, where we had uh, a court guy from Mayfield happily living there uh, and feeling very safe. Now, you're living and working close to Paris. Yes, I am. Okay, tell us the story. 
Well, it was um, about the subject uh, of uh, racism. Uh-huh. And um, quite, it seems to come down to the, the black and white thing quite often. White superiority and uh, black people. Um, uh-huh. Paris, though, would be a very multicultural city, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. But having said so, um, that doesn't that doesn't mean that it's um, that it works. That um, socially, that um, that uh, this, uh, the system that's in place is um, equality, and that everyone is treated in, um, the same. Because um, you know, um, Paris, well, France, I guess, um, is um, in seventeen eighty nine. The Declaration of Human Rights. We're all born equal, and that's not quite true. So this racism thing, I think it comes down a lot to the black and white um, aspect of society to a degree of color. Um, but black is the absence of light. You know, it's uh, in a technical sense, black and white are actually not colors; they're shades. Mm-hmm. So that's um, that's um, it's a joke, but it's not funny. And um, Muhammad Ali once spoke very eloquently on the difference between black and white. Do you know how, how come? Uh, how come it's always the black sheep? How come it's the black swan? How come how come it's always black that's bad and white is good? And he had a very, very eloquent point to make. I think he was making that actually to an Irish reporter. Um, I think it's a false debate. I think it's a false debate. It's a, it's based on fear. Um, clans, caste, groups, territory. Yeah, I, um, look, I, I suppose it's inbuilt into the human psyche to be suspicious or wary of you know, different people, non-natives perhaps, coming into your patch. Um, that's, I guess, fear and territory. Yeah. So humans are social beings, but only to a point. They they kind of fear the unknown culturally, and uh, if they see their own community being, I won't say infiltrated, but if they see it being populated sparsely by uh, a growing number of other ethnic minorities or other cultures, uh, they can be a little standoffish and a little bit wary. I think that social justice is not, um, it doesn't, it's not equality for each and every one of us. Mm. We're not born um, all equal, even if that's what they say. It's not true. Yeah, well, the report yesterday that was that up to 60% of uh, Irish people were unsure or uneasy uh, about black people coming into Ireland. But then uh, Dan very eloquently made the point that if you ran that survey in South Africa, if you ran it in Dubai or the United Arab Emirates, you're going to get the same result about different ethnicities coming into those areas. I, I agree um, that, um, well, I actually, I don't agree. I disagree that. I think it's a question of fear. That's what it comes down to, that people um, fear the unknown. And people that come from places that we don't know and bring in um, personality, character, traits, and mentality, then we don't know that. And we're not, we're not um, comfortable with that. But that's, it's, to be, it's to be understood that people are going to be innately wary of other cultures coming in. It's how you accept them and how they accept living in this new environment that they find themselves in, whether they push back, whether they rebel, whether they don't like old and long-standing traditions. That's that's the measure of how they'll fit into that community. Um, the thing is also that um, history has shown that we, um, we're not capable of living together. So we're what should we do? Then there's, I think, um, a different paradigm, social paradigm, different social models should be in place. 
Um, and I, I don't know. I, I'm uh, with a very, lot of humility. I don't have the answer to that question. I don't think anyone does that. Uh, but it's, it's starting to rear, rear its head again now all over the world. Uh, you've got the Black Lives Matter movement. There's, there's stuff happening everywhere now. It's, um, I think that um, social media, to a degree, has a very important impact on, um, um, on our points of view. And it influences us to a degree. But so, so does education. Um, and I mentioned yesterday the people that teach young people. And I, I wasn't saying teachers as such. I, I mean, they're educators, their parents and their teachers, their family. Uh, that, that's yeah, that's well, the that only place where racism can be instilled because it's not you're not born with that it. Comes, that comes back to the debate of nature versus nurture. Is it genetic, uh, or is it taught to us in our it's environment? Taught to us. It has to be. Anyway, Dan, thanks a million. How are things going in uh, in Paris? How, how's the, how's the restrictions going on there? Um, it's a paradox, like a lot of different places. A lot of hypocrisy, um, and it's a paradox. Um, in what they're way? saying one thing and they're doing another. Yeah. Because they say one thing and they do another. To like a degree, what? not generally, but to a degree. Yeah. Um, wearing mask. Um, fines. Um, certain, you know, certain places are, um, are being um, pointed to the... Um, are being... Um, a texter wants to know, Dan, do you, think, do you think that multiculturalism has ever worked anywhere? Not that I know of. Not that I know of. My 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 knowledge is limited. My knowledge is limited. But not that I know of. Mm-hmm. All right, Dan. Th- 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 thanks a million for the chat. I'm going to get back to some text, but thank thank you very much. Uh, here's one on the mortgage crisis. Hi, Mick. I'm writing to uh, to you today to see what the opinion might be on the mortgage crisis at the moment. Is there a mortgage crisis? Myself and my partner are mortgage approved since August 2019. We found a house, and it went sale agreed in May 2020. The banks encourage us us the whole way with, without saying anything was wrong. They even sent someone to do an evaluation on the house at our expense without our permission, making us think everything was in working order. My partner is on the wage subsidy scheme, which we were told uh, it was no hassle to still go ahead with the mortgage. But now, as we go to draw down the funds, there's a halt, and it's a no-go. We're stuck again. This is a joke, as we still ca- we can still afford the repayments. So I'm left wondering, what's the hold-up? Can the banks put a hold on until next April on all our mortgage approvals? With the new announcement this morning, what does this mean for couples going forward? Why are banks still taking mortgage approvals when they won't follow through with a drawdown? I can't come on here as I'm in work, but I look forward to getting some comments as to what's going on out there. Thank you, says Heather. I didn't realize that there was an issue there. But if anyone has experience of being mortgage approved and then not being able to draw down your money, uh, then please get in touch with us. Uh, you can text us on 086-8104-106. Now, the Everyman, as you may have heard in the news yesterday, has had to cancel their Christmas pantomime. I'm joined, uh, joined on line one by Sean Kelly, the executive director of the Everyman. Good morning, Sean. Hey, good morning, Mitch. Sad time. How long has it been running in continuation? Um, it's almost three decades um, our panto has been running, so um, it's, this will be the first time in almost 30 years that there won't be a panto on the Everyman stage. So it's a, it's, a, it's a major kind of sad landmark for us all here and for anyone associated with the panto, the 85 uh, musicians, actors, technicians, everybody else that works on it, the six groups of 15 children that would have been performing on the stage and had a lifelong memory of it and all of our team here you know this, um, this for whom the panto is a very special time here in the Everyman mm-hmm. you know um, 
So, I mean, and as well as the financial blow, this it is um, where it depends on ticket sales for 92% of our income and twenty. the Panto represents 20% of that. So, so that's one-fifth um, of your ticket sales for the year has is, is gone down the tubes. Now, it does, of course, open up, um, you know, you have dark nights now, but they, they could possibly be reassigned to other concerts or something, depending on the on the progress away from COVID-19. Um, yes, that's conceivable. Um, at the moment, though, the, the cap on indoor gatherings is 50, and that, m- that may rise to 100 um, in August, or it may not. Um, so Do you have 638 so, seats, haven't you? That used to be, anyway. 52, yes. Yeah, yeah, 52 now, is it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that would leave us with... Um, Probably about 85 seats as a maximum because the 100 would, if it increased to that, would include uh, performers and staff and so on. So, um, about 80, and you know, with social distancing, that would be about 85 seats we would have. So, we will certainly be hoping, we are certainly hoping to have a program this year, uh, or this autumn, and hopefully there will be shows on the stage, um, in December as well. Uh, but they won't be off the scale of the, of the Panto. The Panto is the, is the show that makes, sure. and that operates on the biggest scale compared to anything else. In of the course, uh, and and I, I won't say it's cheaply put on, but in, uh, you know, in regards to other productions, because it's running for so long, and because it's a it's a, a training thing, you learn your lines, you do your, your you get the dances, you get the songs. There's a lot of pre work goes into it, but once it's running, it's not, it's not running at huge expense. Um. Well, yes and no. I mean, everybody has to be paid. Uh, you know, of course, performers yeah. are paid a fair fee, and that's very that's a very important value here. Um, but it is it is an expense. It is a very expensive undertaking in its entirety. You know, when there's rehearsals, there's about three months of work involved in it for all of the the seasonal teams that that come on board for it. So there's a there's a huge financial kind of upfront commitment required with it. So you know, with 85 seats per show, there's no way that it would be feasible or responsible no. for you know for us to do that. Yeah, um, because in, in that time of year, you've got to heat the place, you've got to put security on, you've got ticketing staff. Um, yeah, there, yeah. There's all of that. There's all the venue costs, plus the cost of the show itself. The set, the, the set has to be built. There's lighting design, and there's an awful lot goes into that. I mean, we start our first panto discussions here in March, and the planning kind of begins then. Rehearsals begin in earnest around October. So, you know, we, we had to. We we're at the point where we really just had to make a decision on it, and you know, with under current okay. circumstances. Because I, I was wondering why you're making this decision so early, but it's because it takes so long to put together, is it? Um, yeah, that's right. So, I mean, if we left it any longer, we'd be in danger of drifting into, you know, a state where you'd have to make a decision in a hurry or make the wrong decision. But um, there's no immediate prospect of, of the capacity of the venue increasing, plus the amount of performers that are on stage for a panto um, would make social distancing impossible in that context. The number of children we, we normally have in the show um, so there's no way we could responsibly go a- go ahead this year, unfortunately. Okay, I know you probably can't comment, but do you see the Opera House going the same way? Um, I mean, I, obviously I don't know anything about what the Opera House internal planning is, but I mean, I think there is a lot of venues around the country who will be forced into similar decisions about Panto and other shows that operate on a large scale. That's just with the, you know, everybody's going to have a capacity of under 100, so with that in mind, it's going to be very hard to mount anything of of scale on that mm. basis. I remember making a comparison maybe 20 years ago on the radio about a night out in, uh, or attending a, a gig or an event at the Everyman and attending one of the opera house. And at that time, and I know it's changed now, you know, you go to the Everyman, you, you, you get your show, but you go to the opera house, it's a night out because you can go and a beautiful meal after and you nice pubs around the whole place. But of course now, 
20 years later, look at what McCurtain Street has become. Although overburdened with traffic, that's being addressed. It has become really the bohemian centre of, uh, of of Cork. And now a, a gig or a concert or a show at, at the Everyman is also a night out. Um, yeah, it is, Mick. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a huge vibrancy or there was, you know, there was pre-COVID and it's growing, you know, it's coming back again. Now, with uh, around the whole Victorian quarter with all the, you know, bars and new restaurants and, you know, there's a huge dependency and interdependence between the everyman and the businesses around us, um, particularly in relation to Panto. Um, you know, a lot of uh, the restaurants nearby t- um, tailor their menus to suit our, our Panto. Your timings, yeah. Yeah, and because twice a day there's 650 people spilling out onto the streets in December and January, um, and you know they all go downtown, they do shopping, they pay for parking, and you know it's a it's a day out for families, it's an evening out um, later on in the day for adults, so it has a huge knock on effect um, for us obviously, but for you know the businesses around us as well. So how how does all of this augur for the overall survival of the airmen? Um, well, it's going to be very difficult. I mean, we've been closed since March, so there's a huge amount of income that we've lost already, and the panto is the thing that subsidises an awful lot of our other less commercial work with kind of younger artists and so on. Um, so it's going to be very challenging, and without outside intervention, it's probably going to be very difficult for us to, to continue. Now, there is a €25 million Euro fund that has been given to the arts, the Arts Council have announced an emergency stabilisation fund, which hopefully we'll be able to avail of. Um, because it's the losses that I think that arts venues have built up and that um, over the last few months they're really going to hold us back. I mean, going forward, you can reimagine what you do, you can make necessary changes, um, you can reimagine your uh, relationship with your with your audiences and with the people of Cork. But it's what we've built up so far that will prevent us um, doing that because they reopen in the autumn. The income we earn from 85 seats tonight will not only have to pay for the shows we put on, but at the moment it will have to pay for the debts we've built up while we were closed as well. And you know, that's not sustainable. So, um, But as I said, there is there is a fund out there that hopefully we'll be able to avail of from the Arts Council that will, Arts Council right. will help us. I know it's disappointing. You really are disappointing your audience here, but uh, it's a panto. It's an extremely expensive undertaking. It's a very close quarter acting and singing undertaking. And as such, it, it had to be pulled at this stage, you know, in view of everything that's happening. We're still not uh, in, still not in phase four. We still don't have schools open. Uh, and this one for this year had to be pulled. Yeah, but we will be back in 2021 and it will be bigger and better than ever. And we'll, we'll appreciate it all. Oh, no, it won't. <laughs> oh, yes, it will, Mick. By the way, can I r- direct you to the greatest panto of all time? It's finishing today, actually, in the convention centre in Dublin. Um, I'll, tr- I'll try and check in <laughs> if I get a chance. Thanks a million. Thanks, Sean. Okay, thanks, Mick. Cheers, bye-bye. Now, let's talk about something called... I want to read one this... Uh, get to one... Uh, text on tourists before we go back to the phones. Hi Mick, I just heard your show and I'd like to tell you some things from the other side of the coin from living here in West Cork. This place is swarmed with tourists who will not adhere to social distancing. Some people who are asked to wait outside due to overcrowding get aggressive or think, no, this doesn't apply to me. Some, I think, have never been told no before in their life. Some visitors are a completely different breed altogether. I live in a beautiful place and I'm lucky to live here and in all honesty I had the most amazing lockdown. Now we cannot move with cars. Some very rude visitors who think they're a lawn to themselves. Yesterday I went to drive through our village. There was a backlog of cars we could not pass. Everyone had to back up to let a breakdown truck through 
and it caused chaos as the village isn't built for this amount of people. Imagine if there was an ambulance needed. I just wish visitors would consider those around them and the stipulations which are laid out to reduce the spread of COVID and be respectful of village life as we are trying to deal with this the best we can. I can't wait until September. A loyal listener, a West Cork resident who says, have an amazing day. Now to line six and to Sean Corcoran. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. How are things? Very well indeed. Now the Celtic Corridor uh, is a collective of people trying to do good and trying to bring uh, shine some spotlight on all that is good, really, with along the south coast of Ireland. Uh, yeah, that's right, Mick. It's um, it's even it's even further than just the south coast of Ireland. I suppose there are, are there's fifteen of us in the crew. Uh, we started on Monday of last week, so kind of 10 days ago. We started from Ross Lair uh, in Wexford, and we went through uh, across into Waterford, and our final destination is on tomorrow evening at Mizzen Head. And the reason that this stretch of the coastline has been chosen for our team is um, it's on the Celtic Sea, but not only does the Celtic Sea start in Ross Lair and end in Mizzen Head, but it also touches... Sections of Cornwall, Devon, Wales, and indeed into Northern Brittany. So we're kind of trying to create, uh, we're exploring the possibility, I guess, of a kind of sustainable tourism route, not only just across the southern coast of Ireland, but uh, further afield into but, a section. But Cornwall of and in, into the Breton regions as well. Exactly, exactly. So, so it's a kind of, there's 15 of us that have embarked on, a, on, a, on, on this uh, journey. Um, we've got three walkers who are attempting to walk the entire distance is over 350 kilometres wow. we, we have three kayakers with their support team uh, on land who are attempting who have been attempting to uh, make the voyage have been, uh, can, can, I, can I venture you're, you're putting kayakers into the prevailing westerly winds Yes, well, well, I, I'm going to put you on to um, one of the kayakers in a second, perhaps, and he can kind of tell you the okay. news of uh, where they're at, because it, we've had some really challenging conditions in terms of uh, at sea, uh, like with, with the rain that we've had as well for walkers, and, uh, you know, thankfully we haven't had any injuries, we've, everything has been safe, and we've conducted ourselves in a, in a very good manner, and, you know, it's a sustainable tourism thing, it's an alternative thing that we're trying to do, so bring in kind of the adventure, adventure sports, the walking, the cycling, and indeed, every day we pick a beach and we do a piece of sand art on a... Yeah, you're big on the sand art, aren't you? That's right, I'm a sand art. So myself and my friend Joe, we've, we, we're picking a beach each day. In fact, today we're on uh, Tregumna uh, Beach, and then tomorrow we do our final drawing in Barley Cove before we get over the line in Mizzen Head. Excellent. Two lovely, lovely beaches. Put me on to one of the kayakers there. Absolutely. Here's James. One second. Okay. So that's, uh, we have nine walkers, three cyclists, three kayakers traveling all the southern coastline through Wexford, Waterford, and onto Cork, the biggest coastline, of course. Hi, James. Hi, how you doing? Uh, I've been watching the winds there lately. The westerlies must be really, really making your arms tired. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we've had, we've had, I suppose, mixed weather. We have had some really, really good days, and we've had a few days where it's just been really, really hard work. Um, but the last kind of few days, it, it's really, it, well, the forecast kind of today and tomorrow, it really, really, and yesterday it kind of picked up. So we, we decided to press pause for the last few days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Would, think would it, it be unsafe to do it at night when the winds are substantially down? Uh, I, I suppose for, for some people, yeah, it would be fine. But none of us have, have paddled at night uh, a huge amount. So maybe maybe someday we would, but... Uh, Certainly, it might be a little bit above our pay grade at the moment. <laughs> and what happens when you get there? Is it party time? I know you're all going to be very uh, tired. 
I, yeah, I, I suppose all be a bit wrecked, but yeah, there'll definitely be a bit of, a bit of celebration when we get there. Okay, the route has fantastic potential. The the Breton, the, the Brittany coast is amazing. Yeah, and they yeah, love yeah. the Irish down there. They they sure do. Yeah, might be too happy with people from Kent now, but they love the Irish. <laughs> yeah, we know we were all talking about it that we'd uh, we'd love to go over and uh, and paddle that section as well. So that'd be cool. Oh yeah, that'd be great. Uh, which begs the question: Why didn't you go the other way with the prevailing winds from Mizzenhead all the way down to France? That's exactly what my boss said. He's a sailor and said, uh, he said, you're going the wrong way. You should be going <laughs> west, west to east. But, uh, I suppose we're all, we're all based in Waterford. So, uh, starting in Ross there seemed like, seemed like logical. Okay. There. All right. Well, yeah, let- Middenhead, a nice place to finish. A nice place to finish. Yeah. Okay. Look, best of luck to you. All the walkers, the cyclists, the kayakers, the southern coastline. It's an amazing coastline. Uh, if, yeah, if, you know, a lot sure of people is. go to West Cork and say it's beautiful, but a lot of people have never seen it, uh, from the aspect of the sea. Uh, to go yeah, down, no, to go down, you know, past the old head, seven heads, down to Galley Head, Towhead, Roaring Water Bay, Baltimore and the Islands, Cape Clear, Crookhaven, Goline, all, Skull, all of these places from the sea. They're just absolutely magical. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful, beautiful stretch of coastline. And, uh, even, even coming, coming from Waterford, paddling along stretches of the coastline that we kind of know that part of the coastline very well, but even further down around Helvick Head and Ardmore, kind of finding little, little gems that we hadn't, hadn't really explored before they're right on our doorstep oh the hell the green gel talks is an amazing place as well it is it's beautiful down there we had a a great time down there so guys stay safe and get there in one piece and well done for publicising it I think it's it's a great initiative uh, to rival the wild Atlantic way the Celtic corridor could stretch all the way up from Brittany to the coasts of Cornwall and the Scilly Islands and all the way up to the south coast of Ireland we wish you all the very best with the venture absolutely thanks very much cheers guys thanks a million bye cheers the Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. And it's coming up on 12 minutes to 12 o'clock. And I'm joined on uh, the line on the Neil Prendival Show by our first citizen. And that is Lord Mayor Joe Kavanagh, Councillor Joe Kavanagh. Good morning, Lord Mayor. Good morning, Mick. How are you this morning? I'm great. It's finally great to get you on. Uh, Just in case anybody thinks, you know, we have a conflict of interest, can I just declare uh, that we were throwing shapes together 40 years ago in Rushbrook Tennis Club. Uh, And even though we've drifted apart since then, we've always kind of kept a kind of a loose touch with each other. So congratulations, Joe. You've come a long way from Rushbrook Tennis Club. I have. It was, that was all a racket, mate. <laughs> you, you've been, as, as a Lord Mayor, and I'm trying to keep politics out of it, but uh, as a Lord Mayor and on your way to the office, Joe, you, you seem to have been quite the community activist. There's, you know, outside of political canvassing and all that kind of stuff, you did get involved yeah. in, your, in your clean-up areas and, you know, the painting and freshening of, of your local area. You're, you're living not far from the Montanati Hotel. Yeah, well, Mick, as, as far as I'm concerned, as a, as a local representative, a public representative, and even before I was a councillor, I suppose community always comes before politics in my eyes anyway. Um, because at the end of the day, that's why we get elected as public representatives. But, I mean, that's my passion, uh, working for local community um, as a local councillor and as Lord Mayor, representing the city and representing our communities across the city, whether it's our, our residential communities or whether it's our business community. Uh, it's very much an expanded role in my role as Lord Mayor, which has been extremely busy uh, since the t- I came in here on the 12th of June, Nick, you know. Can I venture you, you're entering the, the Lord Mayorship, if that's the correct term, in, in yeah, one, of yeah. the most, one of the most challenging times for the city? 
Very much so, Mick. Yeah, you're you're a hundred percent right. Different times. I mean, normally in years gone by, the the annual general meeting of Cork City Council, the public galleries would be packed, and we'd be inside in the council chamber, and there'd be barely standing room in the in the, in the public galleries and so on, and there'd be a very vibrant atmosphere. Whereas this year, for the first time ever, um, the AGM of Cork City Council on Friday, June the twelfth, was held down in concert hall. We had to observe social distancing and all the various other guidelines. Uh, I had four people in the gallery, uh, public gallery, because that's all that was permitted. You know, okay. and whereas you would have had a large gathering of family members. What else has been normal, Lord Mayor? You've you've gone to throw the dart, have you? That hasn't happened yet. But you will. Um, that is that is in the pipeline. Yeah, it has been planned. It usually happens uh, after September, and that has to happen yet. It, it happens out in the mouth of Harbour, obviously, among the naval ships. It signifies the the uh, authority of Cork City over uh, the, the port as such, you know? Mm. It's a symbolic port. symbolic gesture, and it's... it's... Very much a symbolic thing. It's going back to something like 1759, and re- there's records going back as far as 1759 of that uh, particular... Um, uh, event as such, but uh, probably happened be long before that as well, but okay. never recorded as such. And speaking of going back in time, you are of course now taking the mantle and attempting to fill the aspirations of names like Terence McSweeney, Tomas McCurtain, etc. Yeah, well, obviously we've had uh, many, many uh, Lord Mayors, Terence McSweeney, obviously, and Tomas McCurtain, and of course the third Lord Mayor should not be forgotten, known as a forgotten Lord Mayor, I suppose, uh, Don Luke O'Callaghan, who, who was elected in November um, uh, 1920. Um, so there were different times back then, Mick, and, um, you know, and every Lord Mayor over the years has responded to the times they live in and you know that's what I have done uh, and as you say and you alluded to in your introduction we are living in very different times and um, I have spent uh, the last uh, this is week seven for me now and um, you know I haven't let the grass grow under my feet um, I have worked tirelessly every day getting out there in local communities promoting uh, local businesses small to medium sized businesses in our city centre and in our suburbs I spent for example, yesterday afternoon in uh, the beautiful Blarney Castle, which, and Blarney Castle, I have to say, is a jewel in the crown of um, our tourism offering. We were talking to them last week and, and, and the cleaning of the stone really? they had to do and, 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 and the social distancing all of that. What's the greater plan, Lord Mayor, for the, for the city? It's going to be a new, uh, I suppose, public access, public dining, on-street dining, pedestrianisation scenario. Yeah, well, Cork City Council has engaged um, big time with the traders and the traders, in fairness, have have not come up short on this. And I have to pay tribute to the traders in Cork City. They're such a resilient bunch and they deserve the support of everybody in Cork. And I know the people of Cork won't be found wanting. I mean, Cork City Council, in fairness, in conjunction with the traders, we have um, introduced um, an extra 1,000 people spaces in the city centre. Now, that's not a plan for six months' time and a year's time. And that, that's something that's happening as we speak. And there's 14 extra locations around the city where we're going to, uh, where we're currently introducing extra alfresco outdoor seating uh, zones as such to try and encourage people. And se- we're sending out the message basically make that Cork City Centre is safe for people to go in and shop, to eat, to, to live in, to enjoy, 
and, and just be part of our city and be part of the growth of our beautiful city because mm-hmm. make no mistake about it, our city is growing big time. But it's it's coming a bit late though, Lord Mayor. When, when, when you look at the businesses over the years, they've been clamouring for a more bohemian approach from City Hall, for a more Parisian-style city. And has it taken the lockdown and restrictions of COVID-19 for that finally to, to resonate, that that actually makes sense? Yeah, well, we, we've all had to reinvent ourselves, uh, make from both a business perspective and from, uh, I suppose, a local authority perspective. And we've had to reinvent ourselves and we've all, we've all, we all have to travel this journey together now and mm-hmm. to try and uh, regenerate and bring us back. When you think back to last January, who thought last January that we would be in within two months uh, in a lockdown situation with businesses shutting down all around us and we were down to 5% unemployment. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've long been critical of, of the regressive parking policies, uh, you know, that were yes. that were pushed out there and it dr- driving people out of the city. N- now, now it's time to draw people back into the city. There will be some parking uh, relaxations, if you like, and some free parking for people to shop at the city centre. You're, yes, you're 100% right. Um, and I, I was actually, last Tuesday afternoon, I was down engaging with the residents of North Main Street. And North Main Street is the media, known as the media, medieval quarter of the city. Such a fantastic, diverse range of shops. And this is a fantastic... Cork City Council, again, have an appetite to develop this area of the city and work with the traders again. It's got all the ingredients to do so. And the one comment they made to me from a positive perspective, is exactly what you just um, alluded to. The two hours free parking in the North Main Street car parking centre, which is owned by Cork City Council, along with the Paul Street shopping centre, again owned by Cork City Council, has been a huge help to people, but, you know, in getting them into the city and so on and having somewhere to park. Because it's all very well saying we can't have cars, but people have to get to the city as well. And sometimes the public transport might be suitable because people might have lots of bags. They might be more comfortable. There might be a mobility element, you know. Um, and as well as that, the cycling um, infrastructure has is being improved as we speak. Um, you know, we're, we're investing in excess of €2 million Euro in upgrading our current and existing uh, cycle lanes in terms of making them safer for cyclists, for pedestrians and motorists and so on, by segregating them with bollards and so on. And again, the cycling community have come to the fore with suggestions. And, and of course, they're the best people to ask. Do, does your office, Lord Mayor, hold weight in this regard? I know it's a ceremonial office as such. Uh, and it's a symbolic office, and, and it, it, it's yeah. meant to represent all the people as well. Uh, but you, you do have a certain sway in, the, in this regard with City Council, yes. do you? Yeah, absolutely, to an extent. Yeah, yeah. obviously, um, you, you, you know me long enough, Mick. I mean, I, I'm the kind of guy who want things done yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I can be quite persistent, and I suppose I do come up with ideas, and I try to drive them, and I suggest them, and I talk to people, and I, I discuss them. How's ste- how Stephanie and, settling into to, to her forward. role, Joe? Sorry? How's Stephanie settling into the role? She is absolutely loving it. She's, uh, you know, Lady Mayoress. Very much. She's a people's person um, and <clears throat> she's uh, an absolutely magnificent ambassador for the role of Lady Mayoress. I mean, she's a very, she's got a very likable personality. Uh, she, she is well known. She's, in a, she's a very, um, she's very emphatic and she's, she's well able to communicate with people and um, she is, uh, as I say, the best way to describe her, she is a people's person. She's very passionate about what she does and she's highly intelligent and a huge source of support to me. Joe, um, all, all official dumb aside, you're always up for a bit of crack and you have the nicest and most infectious laugh of any man I've ever known. Can we have a little <laughs> jo- Can we have the joke having a laugh there? The joke having a laugh? <laughs> 
Mickey Wall must make me laugh, for God's sake. There you go. Come here, are you, are you going to be giving the kids half days or is that taken off you now as well? Uh, I think that's taken off me. I, mean, I was out in Blarney Castle yesterday, actually, and I met this lovely lady and her two sons and they were going in to visit the castle and it was horrendous weather. Um, and uh, I said to, I said to them, I met them in the car park, I was chatting to them, and I said jokingly, well, if you were in school, I'd give you a half day and I'd give you your homework off. And, of course, the two two boys were jumping up and down. They thought it was great. And the mother you can't do that anymore. I had, I had, you know, she said to me, I plan to get them to do a bit of homework in the afternoon, but that's been scuppered now. <laughs> Joe, my, our, our time is up. Great to talk to you again. Thanks, Eileen. You might give us a half day, would you? Make take the rest of the day off and uh, listen to me. Take the homework off tonight as well. <laughs> Lord Mayor, Councillor Joe Cavanagh, thank you very much and best of luck to yourself and Stephanie for the tenure. Thank you very much. Thanks a million. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks Thanks to our production team, Brenda Dennehy, Mark Willington and Seamus Whelan. This is Mick Mulcahy back for the final Neil Prendival show of my two-week run tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.